Good to have you here. Three and out on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. So much to get to here on the show. Steve Tannehill will join us. Gamecocks, legendary quarterback. We'll talk about uh, the magical season that South Carolina had where I don't think anybody projected them to be bowl eligible at this point. Uh, and yet, there they are in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. We'll talk to them about that. And, of course, Spencer Rattler, now a South Carolina Gamecock, coming out of the transfer portal. So he'll join us coming up in just a little bit. We'll look at Todd McShay's first mock draft of 2022, as well as look at the bowl season, which gets underway coming up on Friday. But right now, it's early signing period. Uh, tomorrow, you have uh, a lot of young men who are going to uh, say, look, I, I know where I want to go for the last five months or more. We're going to make it official, just get it done. You also have the transfer portal, which is blowing up, uh, BJ and Ben. And Spencer Rattler says, I'm going to South Carolina to play in the SEC. I know just before we came on the show, Michael Pinnock said he was going to Washington. Uh, and we saw the stat, BJ, right before we came on was 18 or roughly what what was it a fifth, a twenty percent of D one of, of of power fives had at least one quarterback in the transfer portal. Twenty percent had at least one quarterback in the transfer portal, and there may be more once we get done with bowl season and the playoffs. Uh, at at that point, uh, BJ, but Spencer Rattler in the SEC, that we know is happening. Yeah, Spencer Rattler to South Carolina, and when you look at it. In hindsight, it makes sense, right? Shane Beamer was at Oklahoma. There was familiarity there. There obviously is a chance to come in and play right away. But I think that was news that that, that kind of uh, caught college football by surprise to a certain extent last night. Spencer Rattler coming out saying on his social media, I'm going to South Carolina. And then also uh, the uh, tight end for Oklahoma, Austin Stogner, who's a really good player, comes over with Rattler. And that is huge news for Shane Beamer. I mean, I think... Spencer Rattler, probably the top prospect in the portal in terms of a guy that can come in and play right now, right away. There were some rumors that maybe UCLA was out in front, some of the other SEC powers, and goes to South Carolina. And Ben, if I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, if I'm a Florida Gator fan, that has my attention. I mean, South Carolina exceeds expectations in year one. Not a great season, but given what you were dealing with to make it to a bowl game, did a pretty good job in Shane Beamer's debut. They've been recruiting really well and now very active in the transfer portal. And I also think there's a misnomer about Spencer Rattler, right? Like some people will say, yeah, but he got benched at Oklahoma. I think you can acknowledge that while also saying the guy was really, really good, too. Maybe for whatever reason, uh, Caleb Williams was better in the previous offense. But when you look at Spencer Rattler's numbers, his career stats, this is just in two years, right? He has almost 4,600 passing yards. He's completing over 70% of his passes. He has 40 touchdowns and just 12 interceptions. So hit a little bit of a rough patch earlier this season, but a very talented guy. And I think this has the potential to be a major shift type move in the SEC where, look, South Carolina is not going to be the favorite to beat Georgia. But if you're getting into some ridiculously early, way too early, it's not even 2022 yet 2022 early projections in the SEC East, is South Carolina number two with the young talent they have coming back with Shane Beamer now entering year two with Spencer Rattler coming over. So big news, been huge get for Shane Beamer and keep an eye on those Gamecocks. Yeah, it just shows that maybe, you know, maybe the new cronyism is making sure, you know, guys that had old ties, you know, and they got new co- you know, new head coach in new places, right? You think about a guy like Spencer Rattler. But while this isn't new, when you think about 
Tennessee. Once they got the guy that came, you know, Hendon Hooker, once they put him in, they started playing better. They're in the bowl game. And when, you think, when you think about uh, nobody saying anything about uh, Joe Burrow when he transferred, uh, how did that work out for them at LSU? So basically the only team right now you know, that's really developing talent is, uh, is Alabama because Kevin, BJ, remember two years ago? Remember that guy, Jamie Newman? He just never he just never signed, went through everything with Georgia and did and decided not to play. Remember that guy? What's that other guy? JT Daniels. He transferred in. So this is this is gonna be the norm. And if you are Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler's saying, what can I do to boost my resume like no other conference can do? Come to the SEC. What you are you going to Georgia? Mm-mm. Oh, you going to Florida? Nah. Where you going? Going to South Carolina. Wait a minute. You think about this, BJ. What if those type of numbers, what if you're talking about 20 and 6? You know, at South Carolina, with a running game, with a defense that plays complementary defense, and they beat Florida this year without Spencer Rattler. Beat the brakes off him, actually, in South Carolina. So I do think we – so just imagine how – this SEC media days was already going to be incredible. When you think about <laughs> Brian Kelly, when you think about, Coach, you know, Coach Leach and Lane Kiffin. And now Shane Beamer going – he should poke his chest out because I got a guy who plays quarterback. He's not coaching quarterbacks. He is a quarterback. That's coming here now. So you're gonna have the air raid mixed a little bit with like running the football because you're not gonna beat anybody just throwing the football around the yard. You know, you know, uh, coach leagues. That's not gonna work. But when when I saw, and I saw, I said he going to he going to South Carolina. Number one, it proves one thing. All the people say the kid don't want to compete. Not true. You do not come to the SEC if you don't want to compete. A and he's smart. He's looking at what they have on the roster. Kevin to be just saying, well, I mean, I'm I'm not saying I'm better than what they have. I, I'm just saying I think I could play a little better than them right now. And I got ties with the old coach. So I do think it's a it's a home run by Coach Shane Beamer. And I BJ, I know we're gonna get into it later about who's more important, but when you talk about perception battle, oh South Carolina just won it. Because you got arguably one of the best quarterbacks in college football, who everybody thought was going back to the West Coast. That's where I think it's from Arizona. People thought he was gonna go back. Uh you know, uh, you know, uh Chip Kelly just can't get a break, huh? People thought Chip Kelly was going to Oregon. Nope. I'm going to get Shane. No. I just think that when you look at what this can do for a South Carolina team that more than supersedes the expectation in 2021, yeah, if, if Shane, if, uh, you know, if, uh, if Riley can stay healthy, they can get him some offensive line play, they got a chance to be really, really scary on offense. And that was with, what, two or three different quarterbacks having to yeah. play, including yeah. a guy that was, you know, making sure the Gatorade was full. Before the uh, before practice. No, I'm serious. He was a graduate assistant yes, coach. Yes. Yes. And right before the season, you're like, uh, no, we're going to need you to actually run the offense. And, well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and through all that, they managed to, yeah. to to get six and six in a very tough league like the SEC. So I, a very, very impressive coaching job there by, by Shane Beamer. Yeah, I think that's the fascinating angle of this is not only did you just get Spencer Rattler, but hypothetically you went from having – a quarterback situation where you had to go to a coach and say, hey, man, you have eligibility left. We need you to play because we're running out of quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. You went from that to maybe you have one of the most high-profile quarterbacks in the game. I mean, you go back six months, a lot of people said Spencer Rattler was the favorite to to win the Heisman Trophy, maybe be the number one overall pick in a, in, in a future NFL draft. Now he's at South Carolina. So if you're Shane Beamer, year one, 
You're playing three quarterbacks, and I think at different times you you got good contributions from from Zeb Nolan, from Luke Doty, from Jason Brown. You appreciate what those guys did, but you weren't in a position where you said, "Okay, that's our that's our guy for the season. That's the guy we're going to build around." You were kind of making it work week to week, and South Carolina did that enough to get into a postseason. But to go from having that quarterback situation to having Spencer Rattler on your roster is just a complete change in, in in year one to year two for Shane Beamer. And uh, there was a lot of speculation on uh, – I mean, you see this with recruiting, right? Like when a five-star guy commits somewhere, well, other five stars want to go there. And there was a lot of speculation on Twitter last night, well, don't think South Carolina's done in the transfer portal. You just added Spencer Rattler. You just added arguably the top tight end in the portal. Might you be active for a couple of linemen, a couple of defenders? Oh, yeah. Might you become more attractive? To, to, to certain prospects if you're looking going, okay, I can play in the SEC and I can play with Spencer Rattler. So there's no guarantees in college football. Nope. You can't look ahead and say this guy's going to be better than that guy or this means that. But I think for what you can do, this is exciting news for South Carolina. You just got better at the quarterback position. <clears throat> even, if, even if Spencer Rattler never lives up to the full hype in Columbia, you have made a statement on the recruiting trail. <clears throat> and I'm including transfers in the recruiting kind of, kind of uh, uh, world because that's what it is. Everybody in the college football media sphere last night was talking about South Carolina. Not Alabama, not Georgia, not Ohio State, not SC. South Carolina, and that momentum can carry you, Ben. Well, yes, BJ, and because because uh, Shane Beamer understands, elite quarterback play means your team got a better shot of beating another squad, regardless of what you got on defense. You don't believe me? Ask Georgia. That's the best defense we've seen probably ever. Elite quarterback play. And how many teams really got a solid backup? Hendon Hooker was a backup, and he ended up becoming a starter. How many teams is your backup good enough to keep you on track? It ain't many. And that's football, period. How many How many teams in the NFL got good backups? Do you even know who the backups are? No. Because if you got to go to the backup, well, I mean, I hope you're trying to save face, but it's going to be hard to make it to the playoffs. Look at college football. It's set up the same way. Now, BJ, Kevin, this is what the transfer portal really is to people like ourselves. You go from saying, hey, man, my team need a quarterback. And you start saying, you start saying, this is what people really saying. How in the world did how did, how did South Carolina get freaking rap? They going to South Carolina. Yeah, coach was at Oklahoma. Dang. Because I'm telling you, if I got a quarterback, the quarterback room is going to be packed. It's going to be college, you got five, six deep. You want a guy that plays the quarterback position that you know who he is when he gets off the bus. That go, you know, I mean, that go, that go rattler. He's a guy that can, that can push the ball down the field. He's going to make everybody better at the, at the, you know, at the skill position as long as he understands. Throwing the ball away in the SEC means you make it to the next game. But let me ask you this about the star power, though, because I think college football is in an era where you're basically in marketing 24-7. Yep. Who in the SEC has a player more famous than South Carolina now? Bryce uh, Young? Bri- Bri- is Bri- that Bri- it? Yeah. Bri- Bryce Young. Man, listen, man, I, at the quarterback position, and I will say this. I will say this. I know this is crazy. If Bryce Young don't win the Heisman, he might not be uh, more, more famous. He had to win the Heisman to do it because the thing about it is, is BJ, start. Listen, everybody wants to be the main attraction. If you in college, I don't want to. I don't want to have to share it. So next year they see me today. Bryce Young comes in. You know he the man. Next up, you know South Carolina. Here come Rattler. Rattler gonna listen. And if you, Rattler has a look that you know when we see him, he got this like reddish looking hair, right? And the guy doesn't lack confidence. So. They go, he going to say, listen, don't ask me about Oklahoma. I ain't at Oklahoma no more. But he should say, if you're in the SEC East, 
we coming for all y'all. Because think about this, BJ. What does Alabama, what, what does uh, usually, South Carolina gives you a good running game. Solid running game. They, now, a couple of years ago, they was playing like big time defense. If they can get some defense that plays complimentary, keep that running game, add an old lineman or two, they're going to be scared because you got a guy get, that can push the ball down the field. But I give, you know, I, I just think that Coach Beamer, he just knew. Once he saw him hit the transfer portal, he did the same thing Kirby Smart did with JT Daniels hit it. Oh, call JT. Tell him tell him to get on the plane. But Coach, he says, welcome to Atlanta and Athens. He don't, he's from California. He don't know about no Georgia. When you talk about, about Rattler, BJ, he wants to go with somebody who knows him. Because this is another thing people don't get. I want a coach that's going to speak on my behalf. Right now, everybody's saying all these bad things about me. I'm not a good player. Being a good kid. Leave it alone. Good kid. Now, if he gets to South Carolina, he's the same kind of kid away from football. I, you know, hopefully he's not. But I just think, yes, BJ, right now people are talking about South Carolina. So forget all these number one recruiting classes. I get it. The guy that's going to be starting next year, his, his, you know, his last name is Rattler. He's going to be wearing that. I don't know what, what that, gar that garden in black or whatever they got up there. But, I mean, shout-out to Coach Beamer, man. He knew what everybody else didn't know. He's, Coach Beamer went from not having a quarterback to the premier quarterback in one year, and they're going to a bowl game. I mean, they got something going on there in Columbia these days. We got a lot to get to here on 3 and Out. We'll come back. We'll hear from Steve Tannehill, South Carolina legendary quarterback. We'll talk about Spencer Rattler coming in there to the Gamecocks program. We'll hear from him next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Southern Pigskin Radio Networks. College football is certainly rocking and rolling with coaching news, with early signing day tomorrow, transfer portal, uh, things going on. And we've got all of that covered for you here on 3 and Out. Spencer Rattler heading to South Carolina in a big uh, decision made last night. And joining us here to talk about that, plus a huge year by South Carolina in uh, Shane Beamer's first year going 6-6. Six and six, Legendary quarterback for the Gamecocks, Steve Tannehill, joining us here on 3 and Out. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. And obviously some good news with, with Spencer Rattler uh, coming in, but uh, let's talk about uh, year number one there in, in, in Columbia uh, this year. What a turnaround there in uh, Columbia getting to a bowl game this season in 2021. No, no question. I, I think what Coach Beamer and his staff and that those kids did this year is uh, definitely progress. You know, no one wants to go six and six, but when we come off, obviously, a rough season, you fire the coach and, um, you know, bring in a new staff to get to the bowl game is is impressive. And uh, I think that the players, as well as the coaches, should be congratula congratulated on a season where everyone counted them out except them. And, and uh, you know, there were some good Saturdays as Gamecock fans this year. Obviously, it, the ending wasn't the greatest that we had hoped for, but we are going to a bowl game. We, we get another month of practice, and, and uh, I think the, the trend is, is heading up. And, Steve, before we get to Spencer Rattler, you think about the quarterback situation this past year or this year for South Carolina. How impressive was it for the Gamecocks to manage that, get a couple of guys in there, uh, guys who maybe weren't expected to be big-time contributors in the preseason, have success with them, and like you said, uh, win six games, get to, a, get to a bowl game, and still have more football in front of them? Well, I mean, I, if you look at how we, how we won the six games, I mean, it took three quarterbacks. Um, to play to get us there. And uh, I think all three of those guys, you know, uh, deserve credit. 
And, uh, you know, I don't know that one of those three guys will be the quarterback next year, but uh, they all had a part in getting to those six wins. Um, you know, you, the part about college football that people don't understand is you don't just come in and you're the greatest. I mean, even J- Jadavion Clowney, when he came in, there's a learning curve to the game of football. So um, you don't just walk in the door and all of a sudden, you know, you're a great player. And, and sometimes, it, sometimes it takes time. But what the, what those three quarterbacks did to all help, all three of them helped us to get to a bowl game. And, and uh, you know, that's impressive for those three guys to be really and truly team first guys. What does it say about a guy like Shane Beamer who can go in and get, you know, a, a big turnaround, go to go to a bowl game, but also bring in a guy, you know, that was you know, that was arguably the number one recruit in the country, uh, you know, when he came out, you know, to be able to get him uh, transfer into South Carolina, kind of build on that momentum of a six and six season. Well, I, I think it has a lot to do with Coach Beamer and how he, uh, his personality and and how good of a recruiter he is. You know, he he recruited a lot of guys in his first. Uh, go around at South Carolina that end up being great players. And, and obviously he, he did a heck of a job at Oklahoma and, and really everywhere he's been. But uh, I think past relationships with Coach Beamer and, and obviously Spencer Rattler and the tight end, um, you know, helped, helped us get him. Plus, I, I mean, it's just like coming out of high school. when If you want to play, you don't go to – and you're a quarterback, you don't go to a school where the starting quarterback is, you know – the greatest thing on the field and he's a freshman. You know, you just you're not gonna play. So um, we are in the era. Lane Kiffin said it probably the best of college football free agency. It is what it is. But the the portals the portal the transfer portal is big, especially for a program like ours just trying to get started. Obviously the model that Dabo and those guys have done at Clemson, which is recruit, you know, four and five stars, bring them in, develop them. That worked, but the landscape has changed. And uh, now you're going to have to keep notes on all those kids that you recruited that went somewhere else just in case they're unhappy or they want more playing time and they come back out, and those relationships are going to be important. So, um, like I said, the landscape has changed, and and obviously Coach Beamer had a, a good enough relationship, and the draw of the SEC to, to get two players from Oklahoma. You talk about playing a quarterback there at, at South Carolina, Spencer Rattler coming in. What is that going to mean just for the uh, the offensive progression on that side of the ball to have a guy of that caliber coming in and obviously, as you said, is going to walk right in and, and be the starter once he gets there? Well, I, I some, some of my friends were texting me last night, and um, you know the first thing I said was, that's great, but if we don't get some offensive linemen to protect them, you know, we're going to need three more quarterbacks next year. So um, I think as, as important it was to land probably a one-year quarterback, we've got to find some offensive line, linemen. Um, we're probably going to use the transfer portal, I hope, and get some guys that can come in and play right away. But if you go back and watch every game, our offensive line just wasn't very good. And it took three quarterbacks all really and truly got nicked up at some point uh, to get us through the season. So, yeah, we, we, we have a good quarterback coming in, Spencer Rattler, but, you know, if he's, if he's in the injury tent, he's not helping us. 
When you think about South Carolina's offense moving forward, uh, I, I think you look at some of the productive quarterbacks of the past, like yourself, like Connor Shaw. What, what advice would you give to Spencer Rattler as he settles in at South Carolina? There are going to be high expectations. Obviously, the pressure is going to be there. Uh, you're one of the best to ever do it. What, what advice would you give to him? Well, I mean, first and foremost, he's got he's to come in and show that he's a team guy. Um, he's going to – the day he walks in the door – you know, everyone's going to know who he is, and, and uh, you know, he's going to go from, you know, Oklahoma and come to South Carolina and walk in the door as the most popular player on the team, especially from the outside looking in. What he needs to do is make sure he rallies that group inside the locker room by outworking everybody, learning that playbook, um, you know, getting with those receivers, learning those guys. Um, so, got a lot of work to do from I guess tomorrow um, until the first game I, I think spring practice will be very interesting um, I can't wait to go watch a practice one day and, and uh, you know see it up close and personal but uh, he's got a lot of work to do but because you know you look at NFL free agency when a quarterback flips spots um, they got to go in there and, and show that they you know they're there to work and to win if you if he comes in and, and you know the only thing on his mind is you know getting back up in that first round that, and not about the team, those guys will see that. So you see, he's got to he's got to go in there and, and and be a team guy and be a leader. And I, I think Coach Beamer wants leaders. Um, he preaches it a lot. Um, you know, I think this year they played uh, hard every week. Played like a team. And uh, I think that's the most important thing for Spencer Rattler coming in is, um, you know, to, to be a team leader and to, to get in with that team. If Spencer Rattler can get that learning curve, you know, as you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, early in the interview talking about what these quarterbacks have to do, if he is a team guy, if, if Shane can go and get a, a couple of quality offensive linemen, maybe some help on the, on the perimeter, how dangerous could this South Carolina offense be in 2022? Well, I mean, we're we're blessed with some really really good running backs, and uh, you know I think we're losing one, um, but we we do have a great running game, and uh, you know you can do a lot when you can run the football, and that opens a lot of things up. Um, Rattler needs, you know, also this, this is the SEC's the big boys league, um, taking nothing away from Oklahoma, but obviously their coach didn't want any part of the SEC, um, and 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 that league. And uh, it's going to be different. You know, it's not, you know, throw it 60, 70 times a game uh, league. It, it, you know, it's really not. And you got to have a running game. So um, we're going to need some receivers to step up. I, I look for number 13 um, to come around. I mean, he's such a big body, and if he can get healthy. And, and there, there's some other guys that we're going to count on. But, you know, I, I think with some offensive linemen and the ability to run the football, uh, we could have a really good offense offense next year. What what we did on defense this year with with really no linebackers was very impressive. We we really had a good defensive line, but um, you know we got the the recruit in <clears throat> linebacker two linebacker recruits four stars and and I think they probably came because they knew they were going to play from day one. So um, you know it'll be interesting. I I, I think. Um, like I said, I think the University of South Carolina football is definitely trending up. 
And Steve, to that end, finally, you know, a lot of people are talking about the Gamecocks on social media. You had, you know, expectations surpassed in some regards this year. Seems like there's a lot of momentum and energy around the program. What's that like from your perspective, and and do do you feel that? Are you a part of that optimism that a lot of people seem to be channeling, thinking about South Carolina in the future? Oh, no question. I I think that's what Coach Beamer and his staff have done. I I spoke to the team on Friday after their practice before the Clemson game, and got to watch practice, and, and obviously I was on the field for the beginning of the, the game against Clemson, and the atmosphere was electric. It's everything that a big game should be, and uh, I think that has a lot to do with, with Coach Beamer, and, and hopefully we get in more and more big, giant games where you know our fans are the greatest. South Carolina fans are, are diehard, and, and they'll pack that place to, to watch a team that they feel like can win. And if we're going out there and playing with some effort and we, we log some wins, um, you know, next year's going to be awesome. I, I, I can't wait. You know, I got the call yesterday about renewing my season ticket, so I guess I'll have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Han- Steve Tannehill, uh, South Carolina legendary quarterback, our guest here on 3 and Out. Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Y'all have a great Christmas, man. You too. Steve Tannehill joining us here on Three and Out and just a legendary quarterback there in South Carolina. And Spencer Rattler sliding over to Columbia uh, to play college football in 2022. We'll come back with more Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on Three and Out. Good to have Steve Tannehill joining us here on uh, the program. Enjoyed talking with him and just the transfer portal. As we talked about, Spencer Rattler there to South Carolina and now we look at just the number of guys that are out there, and there are a lot of them uh, that have been out there. I mentioned, BJ, what, 20% of the Power 5 schools, not even the G5, just 20% of the Power 5 schools have a, have a quarterback in the transfer portal. So we're just going to do a little, which transfer quarterback would you rather have? I'm going to give you two guys. You tell me who you'd rather have. Miles Brennan or Max Johnson? Both have transferred out of Ooh. LSU. Who would you rather have there? Yeah, and both guys have, have had their moments. I mean, you think about Miles Brennan has had good stats when he's been healthy. Uh, you, you even go back to his first game replacing Joe Burrow when they lost to Mississippi State. He threw for like 500 yards, but they lost in that in that wild game against the Bulldogs. I, to me, Max Johnson has been a little more a little more consistent when he's been in there. And you think about big moments. Max Johnson won in the swamp when Florida was at least in the mix for a college football playoff berth. I think he had 24 passing touchdowns, seven interceptions a year ago in the SEC. I like the fact that he was there for a whole season, went through the grind there with LSU. I think there's still a bit of an an unknown element with Brennan. So because of that, I will say Max Johnson. I will go with Miles Brennan, BJ, and Kevin. I remember, you know, obviously he got to deal with the injury bug, but the guy that's very, very consistent when called upon, I think had 11 touchdowns. And uh, three picks and only three games played. I know when you talk about SC play, that uh, that production is going to go down. But, I, I mean, I, I look at the fact that this is a guy that's been very, very efficient. And I know it's a what if. But if he never gets hurt, we don't even know who Max Johnson is. I know because he got hurt, we do. But I will take Miles Brennan. I think he just needs, you know, uh, a fresh start. And hopefully the offensive line, they can keep him upright. And two guys I think will also be highly coveted in the transfer portal. Bo Nix kind of surprised a lot of people as a legacy guy at Auburn. But Bo Nix or Keaton Slovis, who also uh, left Southern Cal. Yeah, I was I was a little bit surprised. I mean, not that it matters, but I was a little bit surprised at it, it both because Nix and Slovis were both multi-year starters, and to Kevin's point, kind of legacy players. I mean, Slovis had been all Pac-12. Uh, Bo had beaten Alabama. 
Uh, so you're talking about players that were well entrenched, kind of in the history of their well, team not only program. That, but, but his dad, Bo Nix's dad, right. played yeah. for, for yeah. Auburn. So. No, that's true. Um, I, man, really tough because how do you compare what Slovis did in the Pac-12 against a more difficult SEC schedule? But I think there have been ups and downs with Nick's, kind of some volatility. I think there's been less of that with Slovis. Slovis more of a pure downfield passer. I think at this point I might lean Slovis, but it's close. I'm going to go Slovis because the thing about Bo Nix is, I mean, he's got a new coach. He had a new coordinator, and it was the same result. With a running game. You had Tank Bixby to help out, you know, with him. I mean, you talk about Coach Harson, you know, you talk about Coach Bobo. Those were two guys, BJ and Kevin, that definitely wanted to help Bo Nix move along with BJ. Slovis was the guy. Slovis is the reason why JT Daniels moved on. Uh, That's true. You know, uh, to, uh, to Georgia. Slovis just said, look, I mean, I want to be able to move on to another slot, and I want to be able to move on because when these new coaches come in, sometimes – you're on a favor with a new coach. How do you know he's going to jail with Lincoln Riley? So I, I, I would go with Slovis. I know you can't compare the production because of who they played against. But, you know, uh, efficiency is efficiency. He's going to be able to still push the ball down the field. I'm going to go with Slovis. All right. Dylan Gabriel, a guy who's been hurt, uh, did not play very much here in 2021. He's in the transfer portal or a guy that apparently has been getting a lot of pub. Probably a lot of people don't know about him. Cameron Ward from Incarnate Word uh, out in Texas, but a guy that – Basically, he's utilizing the great season he had to jump out of Incarnate Ward to go to a, a bigger program. Yeah, and I think Ward had 5,000 passing yards and 44 touchdowns this past season. And there are a lot of pundits who consider him the top quarterback prospect available in the transfer portal. Um, I, I know Gabriel's coming off of injury, but when he was healthy, he was in the top five in the country. And passer rating was over 30 touchdown passes. I like Ward. I'm obviously intrigued by those numbers. Um and there's a chance he might end up in the SEC. I mean, we might see him uh, in the SEC. But I think right now, this is one of those tough ones where I'm kind of either or. But I think I've seen a little more, obviously, at the high level with Dylan Gabriel. I'm not so worried about the injury. I think he'll be back from that. So I would go Gabriel out of UCF. Yeah, Ward does have those numbers. And when you look at what he's done, I mean, yes, that, that is intriguing. But I've seen, I've seen Dylan Gabriel go out there and light. Uh, defense is up. And I think we talk about B.J. and Kevin, a guy that had to, you know, come behind McKenzie Milton, you you understand, big shoes to fill, and was able to go out there and do it. I just think now, once again, he's worn out his welcome. You know, at UCF, he's going to be a big-time talent. Whoever picks him up, i go with Dylan Gabriel. All right, Zach Calzada, again, another guy who started. Uh, Zach Calzada in the portal, or Michael Penix Jr., who just today announced that he was transferring to Washington from Indiana. I think of those two guys, Penix is, is – uh, the player with more of an upside. I think Calzada had a great game against Alabama, but then after that, you kind of saw him, I don't know, even out a little bit. It, 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 it may be a less impressive kind of week-to-week consistency. Penix was one of the stars of college football before getting injured, and if you go back to the start of the season, I know with his injury, Indiana ended up having a bad year, really bad year, but wasn't Indiana like preseason top 10, top 15? Yeah. And it was in large part because of – Penix. So I think they're at Washington. You got they get the Fresno State coach in there. We'll see what they do. I think there's room to to kind of make a climb in the Pac-12. Calzada, yes, he's going to have on his resume. I beat Bama. I beat Bama. But after that, I think there is, is at least a relative question or two. I would go Penix. Yeah, Calzada pr- pr- proves that uh, he is built for the moment. I think Penix proves that he's built. You know, uh, for the for the entirety of the season. I think uh, a couple of years ago, BJ during the during the pandemic. I mean, uh, Indiana they were threatening Ohio State. They, they was they was right in the thick of things. So, and once again, when you talk about a dual threat guy and Penix that can get it done with his arms, 
and his leg. He's obviously going to a situation that's going to suit him, but I would go with Penix in this situation. All right, we're looking at quarterbacks here in the transfer portal, and there's a lot of them. Uh, Adrian Martinez, a multi-year starter at Nebraska, or Lane Hatcher from Arkansas State, two interesting guys there in the transfer portal. And both guys have put up huge numbers. I think Adrian Martinez, and you might say, oh, well, Nebraska lost. Well, Nebraska was also like four plays away from being in the top 15. I mean, all their games they lost by a field goal or a turnover or something at the end of the game. I think Martinez had 27 touchdowns last year and has been a multi-year starter at Nebraska to Kevin's point. And that's another one that kind of surprises me, Kev. You've been a starter for two and a half, three seasons at Nebraska. Uh, Lane Hatcher, I followed him in the Sun Belt. Now, had a few more picks last year than I wanted, but in three years at Arkansas State, he has 65 touchdown passes. And he did have 13 picks this year to go along with 19 touchdowns. But as a freshman, uh, Hatcher had 27 touchdown passes. Now, he's rotated out uh, the, the starting spot there in Jonesboro. Uh, you had Logan Bonner, who ended up going to Utah State. James Blackman came in from Florida State. They kind of shared starting duties. So Hatcher's been able to do that while not ever being the full-time guy. I'd be interested to see what he can do being the guy for a season. I'll go Hatcher. Martinez probably realizes that in this situation, they're probably going to get back to more running the football in Nebraska. He was a guy that kind of going against what Nebraska does. BJ, I mean, I agree. I mean, when you think of, when you think about a, a guy like Hatcher, he's he's people say, oh, he's going to have a bunch of picks. That means, listen, I'm pushing the ball. Down. I know that doesn't bother you yeah, always. That doesn't bother me as much when, when I when I'm. It's one thing to throw bad picks, another thing trusting your arm. I'm, listen, I knew a guy that could push the 65 touchdowns. That's, that's getting it done, people. So, for me, give me Hatcher because you're going to go to a place where we're probably going to have a little bit better players on the perimeter. And, and listen, receivers love to see a guy that wants to push the ball down the field. I'm going to go with Hatcher. All right, we got a couple more. you got uh, Tyson Famicon from Clemson or Harrison Bailey at Tennessee. Both were in backup roles uh, here this past season. Yeah, I think uh, both guys very highly touted out of high school, maybe depending upon the service, two five-star guys. I think uh, Famicon out of Clemson uh, maybe – has has had less of an opportunity and because of that I might be willing to give him that extra opportunity you know we've seen Harrison Bailey at Tennessee and it hasn't always been there uh, uh, and that doesn't mean Harrison Bailey can't get right and be a great player somewhere else but uh, I think I think the young man at Clemson uh, Fumacon if I'm pronouncing his name uh, correctly uh, Tyson is is kind of an unknown and for a five-star that's a little bit Unique, so I'd be really interested to give him a try. Thought that Harrison Bailey would have been a better, you know, better fit for that Tennessee offense. Obviously, got beat out. I mean, Famicom, BJ, and Kevin once again, five stars. Uh, you know, find find their way outside. You know, find their way out of Clemson. If you're a five star at Clemson, you ain't find a way to get on the field. I do think you would be a better fit at another team. That last name, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, Kevin, when you <laughs> say the Famicom, if you could say that, them announcers gonna have to go through it. But I'm gonna go with Famicom. Uh, you can always do better with them five stars. Yeah. And finally, Quinn Ewers. Who made a huge statement by graduating? Or I don't even. He reclassified, got out of high school early, so he could nil at uh, Ohio State. Didn't get on the field, and now is transferring out. Or Spencer Rattler. I want Rattler, and the reason is I I, I get the hype with yours. I do, but right now. We've seen Spencer Rattler do it. We have not seen Ewers do it. And I've read some reports that said, again, depending upon the service, uh, Ewers might be one of the two or three most highly graded or whatever the phraseology is, uh, quarterback recruits ever. But at the end of the day, if you're giving me an option between two quarterbacks, and on one side I have a guy that's won the Sugar Bowl or whatever it was against Florida, the Cotton Bowl, whatever it was, mm -hmm. yeah. and has had 
an All-American type season. And then on the other side, I have a guy that's extremely talented but has not yet played. I'm going to go with the proven commodity. So I would take Spencer Rattler. Yeah, I would go Spencer Rattler in this case. Well, I think with yours, I mean, people keep on showing what he did in some of these camps and what he did in high school. Well, that's everybody on this list. Everybody on this list, you go back and watch their high school tape, they was nice. He's, I mean, yours is going to be very, very recognizable. Kevin and BJ, you know, with the blonde hair, I get that stuff. But a guy went to a school, never played to get that NIL deal. Now he's going to go, he's back. In the state of Texas, how many times have we heard that when it comes to Texas? Give me Shane Rattler, a guy, like you said, BJ is proven, and now he get to go try to light up in the SECs. He's going to go play for Spencer Beamer there at uh, <laughs> South Carolina. Got you. No, we got, uh, we, got, uh, we got more to come. Just a quick look at the quarterbacks there in the uh, the transfer portal. We'll come back. Got more another copy of Uncommon and Unfinished to, uh, to give away Ben's uh, book. We'll do that when we come back. So get your uh, your dial and fingers uh, ready. Get it set up there on speed dial. We'll give away a copy of Uncommon and Unfinished when we come back. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back to 3 and Out. I am Ben Troop. He is B.J. Bennett. That is Cam Ursery. Listen, man, I, listen, we're about to get to my book in a second. But, Kevin, I want to know how you feeling about the transfer portal. Hey. Hello. Ah, I got caught up in a business conversation. And <laughs> hey, listen, listen. I told y'all when Kevin get to talk a about business that, Kevin get to talk about that money, it take a little while. Yes. Next time I'm late, that's what I'm going to say. I got caught up in a business conversation. Yeah, I, yeah, listen, for those of you who don't know, money so tall, everybody going to fall. Kevin got them blue, Kevin got them ducats. Kevin, what you was uh, Where you are they hiding to, at? Kevin, you trying Kevin, you trying to negotiate uh, another level you wrote and got a nice curveball? <laughs> No. Is that a business conversation? No. No, this is a business conversation uh, taking place. Are, are you are we, have you going to give away the book? We didn't know where you were, so we paused everything. <laughs> we are. Listen, we this is, listen. Listen, looking at looking at Kevin Rowley, it's about that time. We Sorry. are giving away my new book, Uncommon Unfinished. The Ben Shoe Store with BJ Bennett. Makes Call, a great stocking stuffer. It does. Listen, listen. My book is finished. Obviously, I am not. But. Yes. Make sure you call in at 912-342-7184. The fourth caller will get a copy of my new book, Uncommon and Unfinished, The Ben Troop Story with B.J. Bennett. Signed copy. Signed copy. Signed copy. Signed copy. Signed copy. 912-342-7184. And, if you, and listen, and the fourth caller, if you hurry up, you might get an extra Kevin Thomas Christmas album. You don't have to talk <laughs> yeah, to Kevin about that. Don't the promise that. The fourth caller, 912-342-7184. The fourth caller will get a copy a signed copy of my new book, Uncommon and Unfinished: The Being True Story with BJ Bennett. BJ, I mean, uh, you you know you you know you uh you you help write this book. I mean, you can say a little little something too. The floor is yours, BJ. I think it's a nice book. Okay, he's done a good job. Yeah. Or if if and if you don't win, Ben Troop eighty four social media day and if you're looking for my daddy on social media well he doesn't have a social media he is just on my social media account right now repping for his son holding that fresh there copy of uncommon unfit ben troop84.com and uh or caller four which i mean I, I, we every time we give it away ben we got a lot of folks calling us so if you don't win we're going to do it through the super bowl but chance to win your uh, signed copy of uncommon and unfinished or just go, uh, go to bentroop84.com and uh, support the book that way and purchase one. My drop. I mean, I don't got to say nothing. You heard, Kevin. You heard, Kevin. Listen, Makes a book, great my, gift. Listen, listen. My book is finished. I am not. Go to bentroop84.com <laughs> if you are not the fourth caller. But if you are the fourth caller, you will get a signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished. 
and we look forward to it. We'll, give away, we'll give away one next week as well, just ahead of uh, the, uh, the Christmas holidays. So uh, looking forward to that. And again, we'll give one away each week leading up to the Super Bowl. So uh, if you didn't win, keep waiting or go to BenTroop84.com and you don't have to wait. You can just go ahead and make it part of your personal collection of, of books. Correct? Correct. We've got a lot to get to. Take three right around the corner. We're going to look at bowl games. I uh, would start actually on Friday, BJ and Ben. So. Coastal Carolina on Friday. Yeah, so uh, the, the first mock draft is out from Todd McShay. A lot of Georgia players, obviously a lot of SEC players uh, there in the top of that draft. We'll get to that coming up in hour number two as well. This is Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin. Good to have you back here, hour two. If you didn't win a copy of uh, Ben's book, we'll, we'll do one again next week. And uh, each week up until the Super Bowl. So still chances for you to win uh, that copy of Uncommon and Unfinished. We'll take a look at Todd McShay's first mock draft as it's come out. Also, the early signing period tomorrow. We expect a lot of local kids here in Southeast Georgia to go ahead and sign early. We'll give you a list of some of those uh, coming up in just a little bit. And the list is impressive of guys that are moving on out of uh, Coastal Georgia to play at the next level. Take notes because you will you will hear them once again. BJ, you and I and Ben, we talk all the air, all the time off the air about, man, you turn on the TV on a Saturday and watch almost any channel and you can go, yeah, I remember that kid. I remember, like they played in Coastal Georgia. So uh, almost every game is your and there's going to be more. Now, obviously, uh, after this early signing period and, of course, leading through into uh, February on that National Signing Day. It is 4 o'clock. Let's take three here on 3 and Out. Take one. Would it be good for college football if Cincinnati wins the national championship? Obviously, that's a tall task, but would it be good for college football? Yeah, and you think about, you know, beating Alabama and then the winner of Michigan and Georgia. Um, I think it would be. But it would be one of those things that that's maybe good for the sport, even if the sport doesn't want it. Like, I, like I don't know that college football at large, if we can kind of group everything together, wants it because college football has long been dominated by you know power conferences, power teams. Everything reflects that. You know the 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 structure of the playoff. Like you have long said, Kevin, there are five power five conferences. There are four slots to the playoff, meaning we don't want everybody in the playoff. We, you know, if it's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, you know, Georgia, Oklahoma, some some grouping of that, LSU every year, Notre Dame, we're good with that. I I, I think it would help further create opportunities directly and indirectly for other programs. And I think that's a good thing for the sport. You know, Ben, you've talked about that in your playing experiences and now in the media, you know, there's not this 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 big difference that maybe there used to be in perhaps the the P5 at some levels in some conferences and the G5 some levels some conferences results have affirmed that uh, there's not a huge difference anymore necessarily with the number of FBS schools and FCS schools and I think the more we start to look at college football for how it has evolved and for the fact that there are great players everywhere and great coaches everywhere. I mean, I said this, and I, I I don't know, it's a guess, but is there a chance Cincinnati has more first-round picks than Alabama in the upcoming draft? I mean, when you think about uh, MyJ Sanders, MyJ Sanders probably going to be a first-round pick. Desmond Ritter might be a first-round pick. Ahmad Gardner is going to be a first-round yes, pick. Gardner, yeah. I, I, I mean, so I, it's not like Cincinnati is this Cinderella team that has a whole bunch of guys that will never have a chance to play in the league. This is a very good team with a coach that a lot of people thought was going to be Notre Dame's coach. So I think it would help 
us all realize that, man, these teams, these, these leagues, these divisions are closer than we sort of compartmentalize in our brain. Now, I don't know if Cincinnati, let's say, plays Michigan for the national title. I don't think that would have the ratings of Georgia-Alabama. Uh, but these storylines would help us further look at the game, further evaluate the game, and further question some of the preconceived ideas about teams and conferences we have in our minds. So I think it would be good for the sport, yes. It, it is huge for the sport because I think most often the times when you think about college football, yes, we are, we are, it is seemingly in our mind who we already have decided who is the best conference, who are the best teams. But if Cincinnati wins, it's because they had an opportunity to be in the tournament to win. Remember Loyola, or Loyola, Chicago? If they would have won it, nobody would have said, man, they ain't the best. Yes, they would have because they had run the gauntlet. But they also had a shot to be there to, have, to actually win it all. The thing about Cincinnati is Cincinnati is doing it for every other school that's saying, hey, man, we play football here too. And maybe this is the reason why y'all don't want us in because if you put us in and we win it, how many other schools probably could have had a chance to be in it and won it? You could strip away all that who the best team in a one-game tournament. It doesn't matter then. SEC, ACC, that stuff don't matter in one game. So I think if Cincinnati wins, it would be huge for college football because, BJ, listen, if Alabama loses, people go, wow, that's the only team if they lose, people people bad an eye. If Georgia loses, people don't lose their mind. If Clemson loses, people don't lose their mind. Alabama is the barometer. So if Cincinnati beats them, they like, okay, because you know what's going to come Who did y'all beat, Alabama? Oh, how many teams would say they beat Alabama? I will wait because it's not a lot. So if Cincinnati wins, that is college football. When you start talking about the best players in the country, it ain't eight best players not in Cincinnati. No, some of the best players, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Sauce Walker. I mean, Sauce Walker, BJ, might win. Uh, he might uh, be in the first round. Kobe Bryant, his teammate, won the freaking Thorpe. The best cornerback in college football plays in Cincinnati. So I do think if Cincinnati wins, it'll be huge in college football because, like I say, right now we have a reason to look away. We can turn away. Oh, that's just Cincinnati. They win it. They are unavoidable. And teams like them are unavoidable. Now, they got to go back and, you know, prove it every year. But what team doesn't have to prove it every year? So I do think Kevin and BJ, if Cincinnati wins, that is good for college football because it shows that, once again, you know, I know it took a long time. The college football is a lot closer to being even than people give it credit for. Yeah, I, I don't think they need to win the national championship for it to be good. I think just winning a game would be good to validate them being there, right? I mean, and again, I think college football is the only – I don't know if it's the only sport, but it's one of the few sports where – you have to make a case like here's Cincinnati and here's why we have to prove that they were really, really good. You don't have to do that. Was any? I mean, there were once upon a time there were people saying Gonzaga in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight was bad for college football. Does anybody say that anymore? No, there's a lot of people rooting on Gonzaga to win it last year and finish undefeated. Did anybody say Loyola Chicago was bad for college football? They said no. It's good for the intrigue and the interest in the sport. Quite frankly, is Alabama – are they – yes – but I do think you are getting to the point where a lot of people are looking at the playoff and why are people talking expansion? Because you're getting in and how many years of the college football playoff and we've had almost as many teams as there have been years of the college football playoff make it, right? That When you have 130 schools, to me, if I'm talking about the good of the sport, that should be a problem, right? I'm not saying, hey, we always want the big brands in there. I'm sure Major League Baseball wants the Yankees. But you know what would also be better is if in a span of 10 years, I don't know, 25 different teams made the playoffs, 30 different. I mean, that means everybody is competing. Everybody is pushing forward to try to get there. I think in college football, a lot of people are looking at it and go, oh, it's Alabama again. And had Ohio State got in instead of Michigan, 
we'd be sitting here saying the same thing. Okay, outside of Georgia, I mean, what are we talking about? It's the same teams. It's Georgia. It's Ohio State. It's Alabama. It's like, you're going to sell me that the regular season is, college football's regular season is the most important thing in the history of all sports. But the same four teams and five teams keep making it. So is it the most important? If nobody ever advances, no new teams get in there, no, like, is it? So I, I think it, just winning one game would be good for college football to kind of validate them being there. And for, as Ben said, for schools of their ilk, uh, getting into the college football playoff. And just because they lose doesn't mean they, they didn't deserve uh, to be there. Number two or take two, which is more important in your estimation in recruiting? The history of the program or the head guy in charge? They both matter. I think that's been clearly established. But I do think at the end of the day, in, in, in more cases than not, it's the history of the program. And the reason I say that is kind of to the point of what Kevin made. The, the, the same programs for the most part, of course there's no perfect year-to-year continuation, but if you look at college football over the last 20 years, for the most part, it's been Alabama, it's been Ohio State, it's been Oklahoma, it's been Notre Dame, there's been Clemson, there's been Michigan, there's been Florida, there's been Florida State, there's been LSU. And Georgia. But in, and, and Georgia over the last decade plus. Yeah, you're right. And I think you've seen those programs sustain that despite coaching changes, right? I mean, Florida, Florida's had, what, four or five coaches in the last 15 years? They're still considered, even if they went six and six this year, still considered one of the top programs, one of the top destinations. I mean, Ohio State goes from Urban Meyer, who had two championships at Florida, to Ryan Day, who had never been a head coach ever. Well, did the recruiting change? Did the standard change? Did the expectations change? No, it stayed the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, You think about what you've seen at Oklahoma. I don't think there's going to be a major step back because Lincoln Riley's out and Brent Venables is in because there are certain programs, same for Notre Dame, there are certain programs that just maintain that. Now, does that mean that coaches have no effect? No, of course not. Like, yes, there are players that commit to schools because of head coaches. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. There are players that commit to schools because of position coaches and coordinators. All of that matters. But if you're saying which matters more, the head coach or the program, I think more times than not, it's the program. Meaning if I commit to Georgia, I'm a big fan of Kirby Smart. But if Kirby Smart all of a sudden leaves and becomes the head coach at Michigan, I don't think most of the players on Georgia's roster are going to Michigan. Mm-hmm. I think they're staying at Georgia. Yeah. So coaches matter, but I think it's the program. Of course the program. You can say this is blank. Like, and I'm talking about the fans. You'll say this is Georgia Tech. This is Miami. This is Florida. Because what happens is we know who Kirby Smart is because he's at Georgia, not the other way around. Because Kirby Smart was at, at Alabama under, under Nick Saban. No one knew who he was till he got you – know, until he got to Georgia. I just think that when you start talking about how big brands are, why do you think coaches, listen, coaches pick it one for the money and two for the brand. I'm going to get the money, but the brand, like people acting like Lincoln Riley is just a savior USC. No, people are like, no, USC is back. No, USC is in a situation where they're trying to get back to what they used to be when you're talking about tradition. Certain schools, right? So, and I know this is bad. Certain schools have a tradition made up on campus that doesn't survive off campus, but it's all about what happens on it, right? You, I, we think we think our school is this, therefore it's always going to be about the school. Because like you said, BJ, when Willie Tack was at Florida State, what people said, this is Florida State. And I'm not talking about people that group of Florida State. I'm not, not talking about people who are fans of Florida State. People outside of that city were saying, dude, that's Florida State, though. Like, they can't be. That's when you know it's always going to be about the school. Dan Muller got fired because of the school. 
that, he, that, that Jeff gave him the money, he ain't getting it done. Hey, dude, before you tarnish the legacy that is here, you gotta go. Well, dude, I went, I went to back to back New Year Six, and so yes, it will always be, it would always be the school. Now the head coach helps, but the head coach becomes that during his tenure at the school. He didn't get that before. Now I get the Lincoln Riley situation, but that's rare. It's rare to take a guy at a big brand to leave, but money talks, and you you know. So I, I just think that for me, Kevin Beach, it's always going to be the tr tradition of the school because the tradition of the school would be that with or without that coach. And now you want the coach, but how many coaches got they, – they name a coach synonymous with a school. Hey, man, when he was here, oh, he did this. They don't, they don't look yeah. as buried when he was at Duke. It was at Florida. It was at South Carolina. So, yeah, it, it's always going to be the school helping that coach become hopefully a brand, uh, you know, yeah, a brand I think it himself. largely has to do with who the program is at the end of the day. As, as BJ said, this has been the same handful of teams largely littering uh, the top ten for a long, long time. And when you get to certain schools, you don't really recruit. You ask. I, I've said that a number of times. Alabama doesn't recruit the same way Wake Forest and NC State and Louis they, they don't. Alabama doesn't have to go out there and do some of those things that those Alabama asks. You say yes or no, and chances are we're going to get the top guys because all we need to do is ask. Like, this is Alabama. This is Georgia. Yes or no, you in? Okay, if not, there's another guy just as good as you that wants to be here. So I think that's what makes it largely different. All right, finally, take three. What is more important to winning in college, the head coach or having that elite quarterback? I think there are players that are independently transformational, right? And you think about, you know, a, a Tim Tebow, you think about a Cam, you think about a Burrow, you think about players like that. But more times than not, and, and Ben, you asked a great question during the show meeting I want to share. You know, who was is, who is the last team to win a national championship with a bad quarterback? You know, I, I think you can at least look at some past national champions and say maybe they didn't have a Hall of Fame head coach. You know, we've all talked about Ed Orgeron wins a national title. A couple, couple years later, he's fired. You know, Gene Chizik wins a national championship. You blink, he's fired. Uh, but with, with, with quarterbacks, it's really hard to go back and say, yeah, this guy was average or below average. But with that said, I think that the quarterbacks – singularly elevating the program are still more of an outlier than the than, than the coach being there and sustaining it. You know, Alabama changes quarterbacks. Alabama changes coordinators. Alabama loses three, four first-round linemen every single year. They stay Alabama. Ohio State, they lose quarterbacks. They lose running backs, wide receivers, DBs. They stay Ohio State. And you've had some coaching turnover at these elite schools like Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, obviously, Oklahoma. But for the most part, you've had consistency in leadership at the top, and that has resulted in consistency in performance, even with some turnover, which obviously comes every couple of years amongst your personnel. So I understand your point about the quarterbacks, Ben. I do think there are guys who you can get in that the main reason you win the title is because of them. But at the end of the day, I think year to year and – I don't even want to get into the longevity argument. Obviously, a you know a player can only stay for a couple of years, but even within the span of one or two seasons, I think at the end of the day, the coach is a little more important. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna always say it's the player because coaches coach players play right. And I and look at BJ. Okay, '96, Kenny Wharf. Uh, you talk you talk you talk about '99. You know, uh, you talk you talk about uh, Chris Winkie. You talk about 2000. You talk you talk about Gene Chizik. Yeah, Cam. You talk about you talk about twenty you talk about uh, 20, uh, 2019, Joe Burrow. Talk about last year, Mac Jones didn't win the Heisman, was good enough to win it, but the guy who was throwing it to won. You talk about you, when you start when you start talking about the teams that's winning it now. I think what happens is 
You don't have to. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to transcend. I'm, you need elite quarterback play. No, I right? agree. Like, like when USC is winning those championships, Matt Liner, he wasn't better than Reggie Bush. It's tough because let me ask you this: because I, 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 I half agree with your point and kind of half agree with my own point. I guess as I as I talk it out, let's take what we would consider to be be an average team. Who was average in the ACC this year? Let's say you take you take Florida State, right? With yeah. five and seven, six and six, which would make Florida State better? having Nick Saban be the head coach for the next two years mm-hmm. or having Bryce Young be the quarterback? Bryce Young. I'm going to tell you why. Because <clears throat> what you said, this thing, because when you say Nick Saban, <clears throat> Kevin and BJ, you hoping that what Nick Saban's bringing to the table, you hope the players are going to follow well, that's true. Nick. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. That's what, when people say you want Nick Saban, Nick Saban's going to get the guys he wants. Like, that's the like he's going to get the guys he wants, but this is the thing. It takes seeing Bryce Young on the big stage against a defense we've never seen to show you that's what, they, that's what quarterbacks at the elite level do. They take the greatest defense we've ever seen and make them look average. And, it, and they're not average by any means. It's like, a, it's like a great DB. He can't be the perfect throw where Bryce Young can make that throw. So I'm talking about – I'm not talking about the whole game. I'm talking about – oh, man, you see that play? Bryce Young's Heisman moment was having enough wherewithal to know. They probably told him, if you put that – if you tuck that ball and run it and you fumble, you better get the fumble back. I can guarantee you Nick Saban said, listen, don't try to run against this defense, but if you do, you better get the first down to get down. Well, he forgot to slide. He got hit. The ball comes out. All those red and black jerseys around, he be pulled that ball back in. When you start thinking about B.J., what an elite quarterback does, like, look, if – if uh, if Lamar Jackson had help on defense, they went they could win a natty. Cause look at how great of a player he was for a team that didn't have that led led the led the league in drops. It, so I think that when you start thinking about elite quarterback play, everybody says this, dude. I ain't know Bryce Young was that good, or I ain't know Tim Tebow was that good, or I didn't know these teams. Because what happens is it takes them being on the field with talent that might be equal or better than them to show you how good they but are. But I guess how do you find the balance then? Because I agree with you. I agree. How do you find the balance, though, to explain that while players have, have changed, obviously, mm-hmm. every three, four years, it's still Alabama. It's still Clemson. Because, it's because, still- because it goes back to something that Kevin, I think, said. They had an op- Alabama's going to get a chance to be in it. You put other teams in there with Alabama, like when you start talking about quarterback play, Pickett and Hartman this year, Wake Forest and Pitt, them two are the best quarterbacks. Put them on a team that has a little bit more talent around them, they got a shot to be in the college football playoff. But because they're Wake, because they Pitt, We'll say, hey, man, they undefeated. But, no, when Alabama lost, people lose their mind, and they lost the game. I just think that Alabama just got to this point with elite quarterback play. Now, they had good quarterbacks. They had A.J. McCarron and those type, type guys, but they ain't had no tours. But it took a while. But so Alabama said, let's put a team around this guy. But if you give me a quarterback, we can go to the next level. I think B.J. and Kevin, for me, it's always going to be this. I don't care how good you are in the, in the, in the skill positions. I need a guy that can get you to rock. So I guess looking at looking at Florida, mm-hmm. would you rather Florida get a home run five star quarterback or get the right head coaching hire? That's kind of see like it kind of depends see, on well, the. My, my thing is this. My thing is this. I don't think they had the wrong coaching hire when Dan Mullen. Right? I don't think they had the wrong coaching hire. Good coaches adjust. This is what people don't say about with Nick Saban, right? Nick Saban has adjusted over the years. He is not the same coach we was coaching back then until now. He thought he could win with the running game, but when the running game was going, getting obsolete, BJ, dude, I got to go to this wide open passing game. And it, but who? But I'm gonna wait till this kid named Tua to do it. I got to introduce the right guy. It can't be a guy that can throw. It's got to be a guy that got to be one of the best throwers we've ever seen, who's also a lefty. Name a coach that don't want that player. Forget the coach for a second. Hey, coach, why the Shane Beamer go out there and get rally? Only man, I want that kid. Why? Because I told y'all, um, coaches get the credit for what players do. That's how it goes. 
Shane, Shane calls the play. Shane, I mean, uh, yeah, Shane Beaver calls the play. Rattler goes out and makes the play. Coach, you are brilliant. But if Shane calls the play and Rattler throws a pick, what in the world is going on? So the hopes and dreams of every team is in 18 to 21 year olds. You just hope the 40 to 50 year old get the right guy. Because when you get the right guy, you Nick Saban. In my contract, every I will be the highest paid coach no matter what <laughs> yeah. these coaches get because of what he's doing. Get, get, get the right players and makes the coach look brilliant. And that's take three. We do it every day at this time. We'll come back. Speaking of uh, great players, first mock draft is out. Todd McShay's 22. 2022 well, mock draft is out. We'll look at who's in there as this uh, 1.0 edition has hit uh, the street, so to speak. We'll get to that next. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. We got the first mock draft out. Todd McShay's 2022 mock draft out. A number of SEC guys on that list, obviously, uh, BJ and Ben. And certainly, we start looking at uh, Georgia. A lot of folks we've talked to uh, have said, hey, Georgia could have quite a number of guys very involved in the NFL draft. Who Was it Dane Young yesterday on the show said he thinks Georgia could replace nine starters on defense because – they're moving forward uh, with this process. But Aiden Hutchinson, number one in this mock draft. And, of course, this is just mock draft number one. I'm sure it's subject to change uh, there, BJ. But uh, you got Aiden Hutchinson, number one. Uh, first Georgia guy off the board in McShay's draft is Nicobe Dean, who a lot of people say quietly, I know Jordan Davis got a lot of the accolades. Nicobe Dean, a lot of people I talk to would say, man, I think he might be the best player on the defense. And that's uh, showing off uh, there. Jordan Davis uh, to the Chargers at 24. Trayvon Walker uh, to the Cowboys had three Georgia Bulldog defensive players there in the first round. And I think Dean is a guy that fits that 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 mold of the modern every down linebacker, right? We've seen him roam the field. He's athletic. He's instinctive. He can rush the passer, has four or five sacks on the year, and that's from the inside linebacker position. But he's also good in coverage, can drop back, and if he needs to, you know, cover a tight end, maybe follow a running back into the flat, and just, just so quick. I mean, the recognition of plays uh, in the backfield. You blink, he's in the backfield. I think he, and I, and I know this is Really high praise, really high praise. But, Ben, when you're talking about drafting inside linebackers in the first round, you're talking about guys, you know, you're looking at Roquan Smith. You're, you're looking at Luke Keekley. You're looking at, hey, Bobby Wagner. This is what we need you to be if we're drafting you in the top ten. And I think N'Kobe Dean, if you're talking about, uh, you know, some of the guys that Tampa's had. I know you've talked about how Levante David Devin kind of – Devin White, yeah. yeah. Devin White kind of revolutionized yes. how middle linebackers are used. I think – that Nicobe Dean is that next in line. I think Devin White and Nicobe Dean's a little bigger than than, than Devin White. He's more, but, like, he's more like a Bobby Wagner type. Yeah, guy. but I think in terms of just the activity and the and impact. Don't come off the field. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a very similar comp to Devin White. Yeah, Nicobe Dean, BJ, I think was really really helping him. And I don't, I don't know if he I don't know if he will put his hand in the ground, but you know I want to say is it, is it Micah Parsons? I don't want to say it wrong. For the Cowboys, yeah. When you see when you see how Dallas is using Micah Parsons, the guy that's obviously a run stopper. But then you saw. People didn't even realize how great he was coming off the edge. I think he has 12 sacks right now. He's he broke, uh, he's broken um, uh, Demarcus West's rookie record for the Dallas Cowboys. But Nicobe Dean is an every down linebacker, a guy that when you call in nickel, when you call in dime, he just slides over. He don't come off the field. That's what he does right now. And he's one of those old school linebackers. When we hit you, you go the other way. There is no get if it, if it's third and one, he meets you in that hole. You know they they getting off the field. Nicobe Dean is the one that makes it go. But BJ Jordan Davis, I think that when you when you think when I when I see Jordan Davis, I see more of a uh, a bigger, maybe more athletic Vince Wilfork, a guy that doesn't come off the field. Wow. But think about this. I mean Vince. I mean play with Vince Wilfork, and I, and I know that's high praise with a guy who's probably 
definitely going to be in the Hall of Fame events. Will fuck with BJ. I mean, you can't coach a guy that eat up two blockers every play. You can't coach a guy that you know is in two gaps every play that you can't run the ball on him. He's not. He's not a. He's not a. Uh, he's not a pass rushing specialist, but. They'll tease Jordan Davis and listen, man, on those plays, they give you those one-on-ones, that's disrespectful to you. You take, you, you dealing with at least 600 pounds every play coming at you. So I do think Jordan Davis, and I will say this too, get drafted and as an interior defensive lineman in the first round. You, you are elite. Because I know, Kevin, we get to talk about the Dominican suit. I don't think you can compare nobody to him. I mean, he had... He had stats like, you know, defense. Yeah, that's and a little bit I mean, different, yeah. And, 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 you know, and obviously Aaron Donald. But when you're talking about effectiveness... To take him off that defense, how much different is Georgia's defense? They are ridiculously different because now guys don't got the double-team guys that come in behind him. But, yes, Georgia's getting back to those gritty days away, you know, uh, two, maybe three guys in the first round coming off that defense. But, yeah, N'Kobe Dean, we can talk about linebacking and, and, and the way to play the position, just turn on the tape, he jumps off off the field. And, obviously, this is, you know, the first installment. We don't even know what the draft order is going to be, so you're just kind of guessing – based off where they're at right now. But he had the Falcons getting Jamison Williams, another Alabama wide receiver uh, there in in the first round. Something about those uh, uh, Bama wide receivers to Atlanta. And kind of interesting, I don't think there's any way this is going to hold up. But Kenny Pickett at number 12 to the Steelers, who obviously need a quarterback. But I don't think the first quarterback is going to make it to number 12. Every year, BJ, we see teams reach, panic, get upset. When quarterbacks start going off the board, like, uh-oh, Better get mine, and I don't see any way a quarterback goes all the way down to number 12, even in a year where most people think the quarterback class is nothing spectacular as far as long-term NFL talent. Yeah, and who knows how the pre-draft process or the postseason even will change things, but it really seems like the draft pundits have cooled on the quarterbacks, right? And, I, you know, what they're worth, not a lot, but – I, I like looking at the mock drafts week to week just to see how the stories and narratives around players take shape. And you go back a couple of months ago, almost every single mock draft had Matt Corral in the top 10, had Sam Howell in the top 10, had Malik Willis in the top 10, you had Desmond Ritter in the first round, and then you've seen this rise of Kenny Pickett. But Matt Corral, I mean, I, I think he's 13th right after Pickett. Uh, in this in this McShay mock and Malik Willis, you know maybe folks have cooled on him a little bit, but I'm I'm with you. By the time it's all said and done, there's no way that's going to last because whether the draft class is viewed as elite or not, it's the quarterback position and it's the NFL and it 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 means more than than any other position. And I know there were even some rumors, uh, at least on Twitter, about hey, is, is Sam Howell going to go pro or? Uh, but I think Matt Corral will be a top ten pick. I think Pennett, uh, Pickett will be a top ten pick. I think Willis is going to be in there. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. In terms of the Falcons and Jamison Williams, that would also surprise me, and I get that this is mock draft 1.0, but you're talking about a guy that's a superstar. I I love him. But, my goodness, the Falcons need help elsewhere. And and I think you're still talking about a team that can't rush the passer. You're still talking about a team that has not done a good job of blocking. What, you had a stat the other day, Matt Ryan has been hit more than any other quarterback. I think if you're the Falcons, I get that you want those playmakers. You have got to make a first-round pick last at, at, at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter who you get, even if you want to get Matt Ryan's replacement. If you can't keep him standing up, it's not going to do you any good. I think what happens there, but, but Kevin and BJ remember this, this is a, this is a wide-open passing league. And then when you talk about them, uh, when you talk about those uh, those uh, Alabama wide receivers, I think Jalen Wilder right now, I think he's like top five. 
right now as a rookie. I think he's right, right around 90 catches. You look at what Justin Jefferson is doing, you know, for uh, for Minnesota. You look at what Jamar Chase is doing for Cincinnati. Because the thing, the thing about it is too, if you do replace Matty Ice, which at a certain point you're gonna have to replace him. You want a guy that, I mean, when we do get a guy in the first round, we, we, we want to give us a decade. Like, what? I compare the guy you replace to the guy, you know, who's already under center. So I, I just I just think that if you talk about uh, Matt Corral, BJ, make no mistake about it, he's in an offense that suits what he does. Not just, and, and I do know that these offensive coordinators in the National Football League are adjusting to what these players do. Just look at what, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson and how they call plays for him to utilize what he does in Baltimore. So I do think you're going to have to go quarterback when you talk about Atlanta because – you want a guy that's, under, that's that's coming from a pressure field situation. You're saying Falcons go quarterback first round this I, year? I, I think I think they should because I mean the thing is you got Josh Rosen, he's the backup, and you got Felipe Frank. So and I say this all the time, people go the backup going to be the starter. If the backup was going to be a starter, guess he wouldn't be a backup right now. He would be a starter right now. They want to get a guy that can develop even if he doesn't play right away, but that's not even a norm anymore. If you're a first round draft pick now, the quarterback they're trying to find a way to get you in there. So. I do hope Atlanta goes goes uh, you know goes quarterback even if they get a year you know with him you know you know wearing you know wearing a ball cap watching watching Matty Ice maybe one two years from now but I do think they got to go quarterback because offensive line is great a pass rusher is great you got to score points in Atlanta when's the last time Atlanta has not had to outscore a team because I know I know the defense woke up this week I was about to say Sunday exactly so I'm sorry so 2021 one weekend they did it. That was one weekend, people. What about next weekend? Well, they went back to sleep. I hope that doesn't happen. But if the last great defensive player you had, what? Was who? What? John Abraham? I see him in Europe. I mean, they, they get they getting guys well. They ain't getting guys in the prime of their career. They're getting guys in the twilight of their career to come in and rest the passer. I don't think one pass rush will help you if you ain't got no group around him. So I think you go quarterback because I think you can get a quarterback that can come in and maybe sure up. An offensive line is kind of yep. shaky. It's all about getting that new talent. Of course, early signing period uh, tomorrow in college football. We'll look at that. A lot of names from our area are going to be early signing. We'll get to some of those when we come back here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We're streaming live ESPN Co. Network. Kevin BJ and Ben, early signing period tomorrow. And, again, it's not everybody that's committed uh, around the country, but some young men who want to go ahead and make it official who've been committed for a long time. We'll do that in the early signing period. We have a lot of guys here in our area, including a, a couple of quarterbacks uh, from up and down the coast. Thomas Castellanos going to sign with Central Florida. Holden Gurner at Benedictine just won the state championship. Going to sign with Auburn. And Barry Kleinpeter at Savannah Country Day going to sign early with New Hampshire. you got uh, one that just happened in the last day or two, Jamie Felix out of Camden County. Going to sign with Georgia Tech. That was a, a late add. A running back, Cartavius Norton at Ware. Going to sign with Iowa State. And then you've got some uh, big O-linemen uh, that are going to sign. Kaniah Charlton at Brunswick is going to sign early with Florida State. And Jaquez Williams out of Jenkins is going to sign with South Florida. So some of the big signings that we're going to see in this early signing period up and down the coast tomorrow. Yeah, very excited for all those student athletes. And you talk about just a ton of hard work uh, on the field, in the classroom, to get those opportunities and some great players. And correct me if I'm wrong, tomorrow is the first day yes. of what is yes. a multi-day yes. uh, early signing period. So you could see uh, more players sign later in the week. And then, of course, you will have the traditional signing day uh, in early February. So multiple opportunities for student athletes to sign. But, but quickly, Kevin, I did want to ask you about uh, Gurner. I know you've 
followed him all season with Benedictine. I think he had, what, maybe a career game, saw like four touchdown passes in the state championship game. What, what kind of stands out about him when you evaluate him as a potential starting quarterback in the SEC? Well, I mean, I think you look at uh, the way he can throw the football, uh, and he's got a D1 arm, and you say, well, what does that mean? Go watch high school football, and you'll know it when you – I mean, you know it when you see it. I That's mean, there it. are guys that, that throw the – you can say, well, I mean, no. Everybody thinks guys can all just throw it 60 yards. That's not the case. But uh, he had a uh, – you know, just watching the accuracy has improved so much from when he was in 10th grade. He's got a bit – I mean, I've seen him rear back and really fit it in a tight window. We've seen him, you know, off his back foot put it 45, 50 yards uh, downfield. We've seen him drive it, you know, 60 yards in the air uh, on a throw. Uh, those are big-time throws, and, and Ben knows that. You look at certain guys when you say, I threw to the back core of the end zone from the opposite hash. How many guys can make that throw in high school? Not many. So he's got the arm power. He's got the arm strength. I think the mobility's gotten a little better. Uh, certainly not a runner, but he showed some flashes of being able to tuck it and move and try to be elusive. So uh, there's that. And I think going to offense like Brian Harson, where it's like, hey, man, we want you to get the ball out. Well, he could do that. Uh, he could do that. He's a guy that certainly took control – of his offensive unit and knew what, what the play calls were and where they wanted to go with the football. So uh, that is a, a big-time talent uh, there going to Auburn. And then you look at the other side, uh, I guess kind of the opposite of that is Thomas Castellanos, who also has the big arm, but he can also run, run around and be elusive and make you look silly as well. So two kind of differing styles. And when they played each other this year, it was unbelievable to watch those two duel back and forth in two different ways. Uh, playing the quarterback position, but both going to big-time uh, programs, Auburn and, of course, Central Florida. I mean, you get variety, right? I mean, I think sometimes when you talk about the quarterback position, it's not played one way. Sometimes you're going to want that, you know, you're going to want that pocket pass that sits back there, make the big throws. Then, uh, BJ, you talk about what what, the, what uh, college football is going You want to have that dual threat that can, you can call plays for them, and they can also they also got a big arm. But when what's most impressive is <clears throat> when you talk about these guys assigning early, these are guys that came in high school with a plan. I want to go to big. I want to play big time college football, and I want to sign early. Potentially there in the spring, which is supposed to be which is supposed to be the second half of my senior year. So I give these guys a lot of credit. When you talk about the way recruiting is now, when you got so many guys, they looking at now because you got so much more access with Twitter, and I, I think the coaches got these kids cell phones now, so they got more accessibility to them. I appreciate these guys who saying, "Look, I want to come in. I want to. I want to be the best player I could be. I want to win. I want to win state championships." But I want to be I want to be able to have my pick of the litter when you talk about going to some of these schools because now UCF isn't what it used to be. Now, listen, everybody knows who UCF is because they own they own a national spotlight because of the guys that's coming through there and the teams they beat. They beaten you know the Auburns of the world. And obviously, almost went undefeated two years in a row. If they went and lost to Joe Burrow and those guys at LSU. So I give these I give all the guys in the nine one two and I give credit to all of them. The parents, uh, you know, the coaching staff, the, yes. the, the administrators, the guidance counselors. I don't, I don't care about where a kid is going to school. I care about that he put himself in a position to go to school. It's not because I tell you now, you know what the premier spot is? If you're not going D1, if you're not going P5, G5, Jackson State. If you don't think Deion Sanders are pulling these guys to Jackson State, you might, you might want to guess again. These, so I, I love the fact there's so much variety now. Guys get to pick where they're going. And I say this all the time. If you are a senior in high school and you ain't playing college football, I don't know – Cause it don't it don't got it's it's too many it's too many schools giving out scholarships that want guys to come. I know Kevin, you know you you've you've called a lot of these guys. You've seen some of the best some of the best players you know in the state. Even if it is down here, you know in in the in, in the nine one two, these guys are getting it done. I'm happy for them because I know how hard it is, you know, uh, to get scholarships. Or what 
100 and 130 schools giving out 25 scholarships, and there is what over what 3,000 in the transfer, whatever it is in the transfer yeah. portal. So that's what you're up against now. So you got that, and you got the transfer portal. But I, but I'm wishing these guys nothing but the best from the UCFs and you know uh, the Auburns, the Florida States, the Iowa State. These guys. It used to be. I, I used to say this. It's a guy on, from Florida on every team in college football. I would say that. Now it's a guy from the night. These guys are the night one too. Yeah, everywhere. They are there and they are getting it done. Not just not just collegially, but obviously in the pros as well. And Kevin, you mentioned the uh, the late development there of uh, Jamie Felix to, to to Georgia Tech out of Camden. Excited to see what he can do. You know, when you project ahead, and who knows how it all works out. But Georgia Tech's had some running back attrition uh, the last couple of days, and Felix is a guy that's an ESPN 300 uh, recruit out of Camden County. So maybe an opportunity for him, in addition to the other guys on the list to. Possibly get some early playing time. Yeah, again, with the transfer portal, you never know what that means for guys walking in and playing. Now, obviously, offensive line, defensive line, it might take a little more time just for physical maturity and development. But the skill guys, uh, if you see guys ahead of you transferring out and all that, I mean, yeah, there's opportunities for, for folks to come in and play. And you look at just a couple of those. Central Florida, Thomas Castellanos going, what happened? Well, their starter got hurt. He's now transferring out. Auburn, Bo Nix, transferring out. Uh, who else we were looking at? Uh Jamie Felix. Yep. Three of the four running backs on the roster transferring out. These are opportunities for guys uh, to walk in and certainly play right away at their at their next location. So happy for those guys. And again, that early signing period I think goes from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in this early signing period, and then you can of course sign again uh, on that first Wednesday in February. So this is not the end all be all. What happens tomorrow? It's just the first day, and a lot of folks have been committed. For a while to some of these schools. Like Thomas Castellanos has been committed since back in the summer. Holden Gurner has been committed to Auburn for quite a while. I'm sure they'd like folks to stop hitting up their phone. Be like, I'm done. Oh, oh, That's they, right. oh, they, oh okay. the greatest day, the greatest day of their life is gonna happen tomorrow when they put when they put, you know, uh, you know, pen to paper saying, Hey, listen, listen, it is both a gift and a curse. When you're yeah. a big time recruit, you get to go. Whew, to getting more text messages from these coaches and to get it from their family members, man. <laughs> it's, it's all going to slow down and stop after yeah. uh, after tomorrow. So uh, we'll have that covered for you on early signing day as a lot of young men here in our area are going to put pen to paper tomorrow. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. BJ was telling me just now apparently what uh, George has already got a signee because technically it's Wednesday where he is coming from, right? Is that Austra- was, Australia, yeah. Land down under. that it? I guess. <laughs> I is that your say. Australian accent? Hello? I don't know. Is, is that how you got it? No, I don't. Never been to Australia. Crocodile Dundee. Okay. But, yes, they signed a punter. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen any of the Crocodile Dundee movies whoa, either. Whoa, 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 I know, really? like, like, I'm familiar with. You ain't. That's annoying. No. You ain't never seen Crocodile Dundee, no. Kevin? Have you How'd seen? you have seen Crocodile Dundee? I'm about to say, BJ, you I, I'm, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to, you know, sabotage this segment. Go ahead. Cause I'm just saying, Georgia signed a punter from Australia. So, even though it's Tuesday here. He goes up on the mountain with this little string right. and the thing. Right. He's like, I'm making a phone call. Uh, he look, he look, he, I mean, he, Kim, he look, Kim, have you he seen? Look, he looking okay, at a big thank old, you. He's looking at a big old bull going, uh. You never see Crocodile? I'm sorry. You go, when did it come out? Well, be in your lifetime. How about no, that? No, I'm, no, I'm asking you, when did it Probably come out? Probably in the 80s. Okay. I'm not. I'm not as old as you and Kevin. Uh huh. Yeah, I came out. Now, hold up. Are you older than me? Yeah. Is Kevin older than me? Yeah. That's before my time. But at the end, at the end of the day, it, you know why you ain't never seen it? Because it ain't came out on Netflix. Because it had you didn't seen it. Hey, Amen. Listen, two things you don't want to do, people. You don't want to ride in the car with BJ Bennett because he's going to take over the radio. And you don't want to watch movies with him because he's seen them all. He's going to say, "Watch out for this part." Has BJ found the end of Netflix? Have you run mm-hmm. it? 
I mean, weren't we supposed to like talk yeah, about this? Yeah, we are. No, Crocodile Dundee. Hey, what? Well, I haven't what? seen Predator either. Oh my! But I did see it on Netflix the, the other day. Like, like it was there. Like, you, you could, why? Why did you just click on it? Because y'all have bothered me so much about it. Now I'm disinterested. Why? Like, also haven't seen the. Uh, what's the uh, where the wizards and they fight each other? What's the thing? What, what What's the thing that y'all all? Yeah, no, the other one with the wizards. No, the other one with the wizards that they all. The you and Christian and everybody. You, you, you don't remember them talking about Game that? of Thrones? Game of Thrones? Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know if there was like a lot of wizards have you in seen Game, that? Of what, like Game of Thrones. I have not. But I, I do remember this. One of the greatest days when Dungeons and Dragons and Kevin goes, yes, I do. I do play a game of Dungeons and Dragons. No, no, I don't. But, <laughs> but, there, but there was not a lot of wizards in, in Game of Thrones. Anyways, we're supposed to get to something else. We'll have to hold it till later. We'll come back. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Love to hear from you on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Boy, the, the entirety of the break was spent gasping in desperation at who has not seen what movie out there in, in the universe. Like, who hasn't seen Harry Potter or Blade Runner or, what did you say, Interstellar? Ben, neither Ben or I have seen any of the Harry Potters. I will, listen, I will, shout out to producer Jim. Uh, he would always get on you and me and be like, and he'll go, what? Like, he said it is absurd that we think that uh, Lord of the Rings is even in the same I've never seen Lord of the Rings. I have seen, I've seen Lord of the Rings, I mean, with the Hobbits and uh, and, the, and the dwarves or whatever. Them, they don't play, <laughs> them, them dwarves don't play no games. They be riding on like the little pigs and stuff. They don't play no games. But I, I like Harry what? Potter. Cam's having a mental breakdown over your synopsis of, of, the, of, of the movie. Riding on pigs? With the, well, you know, like a, like a, like a, uh, like the pigs with the horns. Uh, what you call them? The Razorbacks. A hog. A hog with the pig with the with the with the with the tat with the tusk. I don't. I, what's he talking about? This Kevin? Do, uh, you think a dwarf can ride on a horse? It's too small. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm talking about the movie now. He on a little pig that got the horns. Anyway. Anyway. Is there any chance, uh, BJ, you're gonna watch any of these movies before the new year, like Predator? No. No. Why not? He's gonna do it out of spite. He I'm gonna watch Bull Durham. There you go. You should. Uh, oh. You should do that. Put it on the holiday watch list and report back. We'll take a full movie report, and Cam will promise not to have a meltdown when you're saying, I don't even know what you're talking about either because I've not seen Harry Potter or, or Lord of the Rings, so I don't know about pigs riding on. I don't, I don't know what you're talking uh, about. It's not a pig. It's a dwarf riding on a pig. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Are they it's dwarves? They are dwarves. They are really dwarves, dwarves okay. in the movie. And listen. All right, that being said. That will beat the brakes off you, too. All right. <laughs> it's Hobbits and it's Dwarves. <laughs> Hobbits and Dwarves. Right, I'll take your word for it. Exactly. All right. All right. I, we got to move on because, right. I mean, it's, it's going to be – we're going to be uh, the worst movie critics ever uh, if this continues. I will tell you what. But we have early signing period tomorrow. A lot of folks uh, out there on Twitter and in social media because that's where you go to, uh, to let your feelings known are questioning the early signing period. Is, the, is it proven to be good – for college football, also out there with obviously the transfer portal, but early signing has that been a good thing for college football? Wow, uh, I think there have been some unintended consequences that 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 are concerning to me. And first and foremost, I think what we've just seen, kind of the mad dash of coaching changes, I I, I don't think that makes for a more stable college environment. And at the end of the day, I think you want to have an environment where there's at least 
to a reasonable extent, there's there's some stability, there's some predictability, there's kind of a a, a routine that that has some consistency to it, right? Like for the longest time in college football, if there was going to be a coaching change, you would see it in late December or whatever. And I'm not saying everybody has to make their moves then, but we've seen a new trend where seasons aren't even over and coaches are fired. Seasons aren't even over and teams don't have coordinators. Seasons aren't even over. And to use an example like Miami, you have a coach and then you have another coach who you're trying to make the coach. And if he's not the coach, you'll go back to the old coach. But if he becomes the coach, you're going to get rid of the old coach who's the current coach. Like, it, there's just all kind of craziness going on. And I think a lot of that is because universities, programs feel like they have to have a staff not only in place, but a new staff in place and on the recruiting trail and engaged and involved by whatever the date is, December 15th or 16th. So everything that uh, normally takes place later in the year is done in a very frenzied fashion. It's done immediately. You know, you, you hit, hit, hit refresh on Twitter one day and three coaches have been fired and, uh, you know, the whole staff is gone. And there, there are some situations right now where teams are in bowl games and they don't have full staff. Sure. Because, because changes have already been made. And I think that's a tough set of circumstances to juggle. And I'm not saying it's all because of the early signing period, but I think that's a tough set of circumstances to juggle where one program can have an outgoing staff, an incoming staff, they're both recruiting, one staff is coaching, the other staff is evaluating, and lost in between are student athletes who are on the current roster, student athletes who are wondering who the coaches are going to be at these programs. And I think it just creates a lot of questions where there aren't many answers. And I also, I don't know this, I'm kind of theorizing, but I also don't want there to be an environment where it feels like there's this dramatic pressure to sign on December 15th. And Kevin, you made a good point, and I'm really happy for these student athletes. If you've gone through the recruiting process and you know where you want to go and you're ready to kind of move forward with whatever's next in your life and you can get it over with me and you can speak to that, I can't. I'm sure that's an incredible relief. And I think there are absolutely positives to this, like student athletes being able to end their recruiting and move forward and get ready for the next chapter in their life. But what I, but what I worry about is the potential of basically – it being inferred that you better sign or else, or your scholarship might not be there. And that makes me a little nervous and a little uncomfortable that there could be extra pressure on student athletes who are already making maybe the toughest decisions, uh, at least in terms of football and school and stuff in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just don't like that idea. I don't know how prevalent that is, but I think there have been kind of some chaotic elements to this that have, exaggerated some of the coaching stuff and maybe some of the pressure potentially around recruiting it's the exception is you are if you are if you are one of the seven uh, percent of, of uh, high school athletes that get uh college scholarships you are already the exception it is adding an exception to the exception meaning you, like you just said bj you hear about this thing called early signing day you start saying well, wait a minute do i got to sign and then you're very impressionable, too. You're 17, 18 years old, so these grown men that's recruiting you going to say things like, I mean, man, we want you in February, but we, we kind of really hope you do it in December. So you add, you add in, you know, unwanted pressure. It's hard enough to get a college scholarship. Make no mistake about it. These, these student athletes that are getting college scholarships are the exception to the rule. You know how many high school athletes there are compared to how many get scholarships? So now it's, okay, February, 
No, man, let's go in December. So I got enough to think about outside of not getting hurt, being the best player, making sure I don't lose these scholarship offers, make sure I don't lose it. Now you want me to sign December 15th. Now, what's wrong with February? Because it's something, it's, it's something that Cam said, BJ, we had to show Cam said, it's, it's about the kids or not. And if it is, make it to where, because what it was meant to do was, let's, let's, let's highlight it. Let's make the year with a bang, because everybody don't go to the high school championships, right? But let's give these kids one last thing to say, hey, man, you signed up with this school. But they ain't playing in January. They ain't playing in February. They ain't playing in March. Because, and everybody wants their spotlight. I get that part. Man, if I sign December, I don't have to worry about as many kids signing that day. But what if I'm a kid that's an in-betweener? I can sign in December, but the coaches come and tell me, yeah, little, 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 we kind of want you to wait. Because that's what we don't see either, right? That's another reason why they signed December. Because I, I want to do it now because that slot might not be open in February. That's what, if, if these top schools who are trying to sign 75% of their class, what makes me think I'm a part of that 25% in February? So, Fear will make me sign in December, too, because I, I want to go to this school. I just think that when you make it so that everybody signs at the same time, it's even because if we all sharing the same field, we all planned at the same time, but now you added something, you added an exception to people who are already the exception to the rule. December 15th is prestigious, but I will say this. It's one thing to sign the December 15th because this is what I said. There was nothing to do it because, man, I don't know if they're going to be there in February. I mean, I'm the top cornerback. He's the top cornerback because those conversations happen. I say this right now. I wasn't the only tight end that wanted to sign in Florida because I signed another tight end could not. Was it off better than him? My fax machine came in quicker than his. I was part of the number one in some publications uh, uh, recruiting class in the country. So note this. It's not going to be two and three quarterbacks signed at the same school. You don't mm -hmm. see that right. One will be a part of the 25. So think about that. All the quarterbacks in college football, I mean high school, we want one. What? I am trying to find one quarterback for this class. And all of them about the same height, same, you know, you know, you know different skill sets. So I will say, Kevin and BJ, I think it's I think it's good and bad. Good because the kids get a spotlight, but bad because, man, if I want to go to school X and I say, dude, how many how many they signed? They signed 16. How many times they signed a tight end? All of a sudden, what's up, coach? Now the guy that was reaching out to me ain't responding no more. See, that's what you don't see. So, I mean, cell phones wasn't like what it is now, and accessibility ain't like what it is now when I came out. But I do remember this. The first Wednesday in February, I remember coming in. I got to go into the library myself, Isaac West and Carlos, Carlos Rogers, and we signed. I didn't know what I was doing. I sat down and I signed. Now, they, they'll go to the camera people. They'll go to the news. <laughs> and they said, wait, wait a minute, Ben. I said, listen, I don't know how to do it. I know how to sign my, uh, I know how to sign my signature. They told me you're supposed to wait. Well, you better act like I'm signing. Because I know how prestigious it is, how rare it is to go to college on an athletic scholarship. But do I sign a December if it's like it is now? I probably do it because what makes me think Florida gonna wait on me? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at is do you feel like you have to? I think I think you do, BJ, because the thing about it is is we're listen, we're talking we're talking as grown men who have, you know, who have wives and kids and, and we and we see what it is, right? But if I'm 17, 18, and all I ever want to do was play at Georgia, Georgia Tech, you know, UNC, and I say, hey, man, I'm seeing all these boys coming up with these UNC. Oh, we just signed another, just signed another one. They're going to wait on me now. 25 just went to 10. Am I that 10 they waiting on? So that, that's what's scary about it is the dream may not come true in February. That's what people don't get because you are a priority in December because we got him. But then – Coaches don't even wait. Coaches don't wait to do nothing. Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. How many kids want to go to Oklahoma? I want to get coached on Lincoln Riley. He's at USC now. 
Brian Kelly ain't in Notre Dame no more. He's, he's down at LSU. So that's another thing you got to factor in. The coach ain't there no more. Is it the school? It's always been the coach in the school. And for those people say it should be the, the school, not the coach, you ain't getting recruited. You are not getting recruited when you say those things. Don't talk to the people that's in it because they're the one that got to make these decisions. So I like early signing day. It was cool at first, but now you kind of seeing what it really is. They get three days. You know what else is three days? The draft. You know what else is rough? Watching the draft come and go. This is the, National Sunday is the college football draft. That's what it is. And guys are getting selected or making their selections. But if I watch them three days come and go, I'm going to hate Christmas. I'm going to hate New Year's because I haven't signed yet. And what everybody going to say, hey, man, I thought you were signed in December. Who said that? I just saw these kids. That wasn't me. Grades are a factor. How many kids still need to get grades to graduate in the spring? I'm telling you, it's a lot of pressure on these kids. And I would think that big-time business, big-time programs don't wait on kids because – like I said, the reason why they signed it tomorrow is because I'd rather go to bed December, December the night of the 15th on, I'm an Auburn Tiger. I'm a Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket. Whew, it's over. That's their problem now. Because now, because well, I mean, know, that, that, that could also no, be No, I mean, and again, I think you still have a majority of, and people see that, a majority of guys will sign in February yes. at the FCS level and all that, and there's still those slots out there. But as you said, uh, Ben, for the Power Five especially, there is a lot of pressure to have most of this done in December. Yes. It's like, are you with it? Like, I'll hold a spot if there's a five-star that, that's thinking about it. Like, I'll hold a spot for you, but everybody else, I want them in here. And I think a lot of it has to do with what? With money. Hey, why do we have an early signing period? So I don't have to spend two more months uh, recruiting you yes. and keeping everybody else no, uh, no, away no, from no, me. No. And so I can I, start on the next yeah, year. I want to I mean, start. And, and I talked to C. Spurrier, one, I talked to C. Spurrier twice in the recruiting process. One when he came to my house and two when I went on my visit. That's it. Nowadays, look at the kid's phone. How many times are you going to see Saban on there if they want him? That's Nick Saban. What? Nick Saban family members don't got his phone number. You got, yeah, because I help him, right? I just think that when we look at that recruiting, we got to look at the totality of it. There is no difference in an FCS player, right? And these D1, no. it's no different. No, but, no, but, no, 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 I'm not saying you're saying that, Kevin. I'm no. saying if you, when people say, why he signed in December? Dude, because it's Auburn. But I think, I, I, I mean, I think the idea of the early signing period is a good thing. Because, yeah. because I do think we saw at a certain point when this is First Institute, BJ, there were kids going, look, man, I've been committed to School X since June. It's now December, and I'm still having, you know, eight other schools text me every other day. Coach, say, hey, you sure you want to go there? And so it's like I've been committed to them for eight months, and I want to make it stop. Like, I, this is where I'm going, and I, I, my mind is made up. So I think that's where I was a good thing, and it quickly morphed it. Because the first year it happened, you saw a lot of schools have, what, 10, 12 guys. Year two, you all of a sudden saw Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and Notre Dame. All of a sudden that went from 8, 9, 10 to we just signed 19. We just signed 20. In year two of the early signing period, and, and you're going, so what are you looking to do in spring? Uh, well, we, we may sign one in, in February, but no, this is it. This is our class. We're moving on. And I think that is where uh, you get the, the guys who have fallen through the cracks, so to speak, or you get those guys. I think that's why the transfer portal is becoming also so huge. You get guys who are like, when all these guys were committing back in July and August, I hadn't played my senior year yet. I had an amazing senior year. My team went to the semifinals or whatever. I played great. And now I'm very interested in going to school X, but, man, we've had two guys committed since July. We can't take you. We, we, and so you end up going someplace else, and then two years in, uh, you could transfer. But I think that is, to me, the downside of it is that you up the timetable, 
you move the timeline forward, and you really don't get that full yeah. recruiting like you used to get because guys are now under the pressure of if you're Kirby Smart and you come out. I mean, BJ, we've seen this. New coach last year, uh, Florida State, when they brought in the guy now, they signed, what, six guys? Early signing period, and you go look at the reaction. It's like, that's it? Six, oh, my God, we're falling so far mm-hmm. behind in recruiting. Whereas there is pressure for the Nick Sabans and Kirby Smarts and yeah, all those to come in it the early is. signing period and say, we're done. Yeah. But I think something guys. else you said is a really good point, too, that I, that I really even haven't thought of is it, it, it accelerates and moves up the evaluation and – signing process obviously and that may be a disadvantage for guys who if you want to call them are, are late bloomers like if you're a guy who maybe your junior season and yep. Ben you've talked about yep. that maybe your junior season you were a good player and you had some offers but your senior season let's say you came out and were all state and had a great well a lot of schools have already filled up their allotment before yep. your senior season is over because they're all doing that in preparation of finishing on December 15th and if you're doing that a student athlete athlete that has a, a banner senior season might not have opportunities that would likely be there if there was only the early February signing period. And I think yeah. that's tough. And I don't think any of these things were done on purpose. I no. think these are unintended sure. consequences, but I think those are things that need to be addressed. we got more to come. Early signing period, though, it will happen tomorrow, and we'll have it covered for you here on 3 and Out. Bowl season starts on Friday. we got that for you as well. And while it may just be bowl season, you hear about guys opting out. Who don't? There are teams that need to win and would love to get a bowl win to push them into the offseason. We'll break that down next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here, 3 and Out. Bowl season starts on Friday. You got the Bahamas Bowl. Who wouldn't want to be in the Bahamas in mid-December? That's the best bowl game. That is it's the first, usually, I don't think it's been the first bowl game before, but it is this time around. The Bahamas Bowl and the Cure Bowl, both coming up on Friday. Uh, but obviously, bowl season different for a bunch of teams. Playoff obviously really matters. New Year's Six usually means you've reached a certain crescendo uh, for your season and uh, a nice level of achievement. Everybody else, you're talking about who you're losing, maybe a coaching change, and maybe kind of the push forward of your program and while you're getting to a bowl game has kind of become that benchmark like hey we made the NCAA tournament that's kind of a good check in the box of the coaching what program or what coach really could use a dub in bowl season yeah for me it's a it's a program and it's one where there's a coaching change and it's Florida and I don't say that because I think Florida needs some sort of momentum boost you know Florida has Billy Napier coming in I think the staff is still being put together I think Florida will be fine in recruiting and will add some pieces via the transfer portal but it's because of who Florida is playing and Florida is in the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa and they're playing UCF and you might think well who cares about that game everybody in the state of Florida which is why it's already a sellout you know, there are big games that are, you know, January 1st games that are not sellouts. The Gasparilla, uh, Gasparilla Bowl, you can't get tickets. And a couple of years ago, remember, you had kind of the back and forth between Florida and Central Florida about scheduling. And basically, Central Florida was saying, you don't want to play us. And Florida was like, we do. We just don't want to go to Orlando. Well, guess what? They're playing. And they're playing in Tampa. And here's the thing. It's This is really an unfair set of circumstances for Florida from a perception standpoint. Because if Florida wins, everybody's going to say, dude, it's Central Florida. And if Florida loses, everybody's going to say, dude, it's Central Florida. So no matter what you do, you're not going to get any credit. But if you're Florida, 
losing would be a tough thing in terms of perception because then all you're going to hear all offseason for the next five months is it's not the big three, it's the big four. Florida doesn't – come on, Florida's a thing of the past. Central Florida's the – I mean, Central Florida's got a more recent national title than Florida. Mickey Mouse. Yep, wink, wink. And we just beat them in a bowl game. Central Florida's a better program than Florida. And, of course, Central Florida's a good program. It's not a better program than Florida. But that's going to be the talking point. And when you think about social media and recruiting, that's what everybody's going to hear. Why go to Florida and go 6-6 six and six when you can go to UCF, compete for a national title, we're moving to the Big 12, and we just beat Florida. So I think that kind of momentum would matter some. I mean, Florida's always going to be Florida. But just in terms of the talking points being there, it'd be a lot easier for Florida to just go ahead and win and close that door and not have to deal with it all offseason. You could have probably just called it the Compromise Bowl. Either one If y'all ain't coming to Gainesville, we ain't coming to Orlando, let's meet up in Tampa. We'll just meet you right in the middle. No, for me, I think it's a cheese bowl. I think, I think it's Clemson. Because the thing about it is, and they play in Iowa State, but preseason – both of these teams, Iowa State is supposed to be the year they beat everybody, not so much. And Clemson, I mean, I know they came up, you know, a game short of even being back in the AC Championship game, but they fell off. Offensively, you was like, what happened? Started with game one against Georgia, did not get in the end zone. DJU, I mean, this just wasn't a year for him. And Dabo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney was one of the premier coaches in college football. I'm not saying he has lost that, but people literally were not talking about Clemson at all this year. It was Pitt. I mean, it was NC State, it was Wake, it was not Clemson. Well, it was Clemson for all the wrong reasons. So I think Clemson, because we need to, we need to kind of get back to, hey man, what do we have to look forward to, you know, uh, next year? Hopefully, get it back to their winning ways. Got Don't two see. new coordinators in this one too. Yeah, yeah. listen, lost, lost, lost both your coordinators. Vernables, he's never gonna leave. <laughs> Oklahoma, like, come on, Tony Elliott, he's not gonna leave. <laughs> Come on. And Tony Ellis stayed within the division. I mean, stayed within the conference. So I do think that Clemson needs to win. But if I have a 1B, it's North Carolina. BJ, Sam Howell, his fre- true freshman year, I haven't seen anything like it. Then here comes expectations sophomore year. He got 2,000-yard receivers, 2,000-yard rushes, loses at Florida State. People think, oh, that was an anomaly. Loses, I mean, listen, loses at uh, you know, Florida State again this year. Then here comes the junior year. No 1,000-yard receivers, no 1,000-yard rushes, no problem. Big problem. Started off against Virginia Tech, lost, and they just weren't able to live up to the hype. I don't know who's coming in behind the Sam Howell, but you're talking about production in college. It don't get much better at a production standpoint than what Sam Howell has done. But the last thing North Carolina want to do is to lose to South Carolina. They got the ACC versus the SEC, and you don't want a guy that – and, and uh, Shane Beamer, for which got one of the best – uh, quarterbacks coming out of the transfer portal, and people thought they weren't even going to sniff a bowl game, beat the brakes off of my Gators, and now they mm-hmm. playing for North Carolina. So this is the battle of the Carolinas, but I think Mac Brown yeah. and them North Carolina boys, they need to get a win. Well, in the I mean, game. I think if you're Mac Brown, that's a good one, Ben. You were preseason favorite in your division, and if you lose to South Carolina, you're 6-7. and seven. You have a losing record. And that, to me, Mac Brown needs it to show that North Carolina can consistently go in the right direction. Mine, you guys will laugh because of who it is. But I think the ACC obviously uh, fights the battle of perception versus reality in some uh, situations. I think it's NC State in the, uh, the the Holiday Bowl against UCLA. You say, well, what difference does that make? Clemson, Ben, you brought them up. If they beat Iowa State, they have 10 wins. If NC State wins, that will be four 
ACC teams with 10 win seasons. And that's not anything I think you just shuff off and say, oh, the ACC was bad. If you have four teams that won 10 games, that's pretty good uh, for, for your conference to say, hey, we had four teams do that. Wake Forest and Pitt are already there. Clemson and NC State can certainly do that with bowl wins. So I think have four 10-win seasons will be good. It would also be good for Dave Doran, who I think for as much grief as I give about it, he hates doing media. That's a program that people constantly, BJ, have looked at in the ACC and said, you have a, a huge fan base uh, there in North Carolina. You have resources. You have alumni. You recruit well. There's really no reason why they don't win more consistently than they do. And I think to get to 10 wins would be a big step for NC State because don't think that ACC uh, media days with both coordinators out at Clemson, Dabo having to do a better job or do a job of replacing those two guys, that there aren't going to be the NC States, that there aren't going to be maybe a Florida State or a Louisville who says if we can recruit well, get some transfer portal guys, that we don't think there might be a little crack in the door in the ACC uh, Atlantic Division. I think certainly there will be some teams geared up in the offseason. I think this would be big for NC State to go out and play well and win on top of that, get to that 10-win mark there in 2021. Just some teams we think need to win, and there's some teams that I think perceptually we didn't even get to. Auburn's, they lose, will be 6-7. and seven. There's a lot of teams. That's why I hate these 6-6 six and six bowl games. Probably don't deserve to be there, but if you lose and finish 6-7, and seven, ouch, moving into the offseason as far as that concerned. We got more to come here on 3 and Out. Of course, a lot going on with that transfer portal. Spencer Rattler is going to South Carolina. We had a chance to speak with Steve Tannehill, legendary quarterback in South Carolina, about that move. We'll hear from him next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Going to roll with coaching news with early signing day tomorrow, transfer portal, uh, things going on, and we've got all of that covered for you here on 3 and Out. Spencer Rattler heading to South Carolina in a big uh, decision made last night, and Jordan is here to talk about that. Plus, a huge year by South Carolina in uh, Shane Beamer's first year going 6-6. Six and six. Legendary quarterback for the Gamecocks, Steve Tannehill, joining us here on 3 and Out. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. And obviously, some good news with, with Spencer Rattler uh, coming in. But uh, let's talk about uh, year number one there in, in, in Columbia uh, this year. What a turnaround there in Columbia getting to a bowl game this season in 2021. No, no question. I, I think what Coach Beamer and his staff and that those kids did this year is uh, definitely progress. You know, no one wants to go six and six, but when we come off obviously a rough season, you fire the coach and um, you know bring in a new staff to get to the bowl game is is impressive. And uh, I think that the players as well as the coaches should be congratulate, congratulated on a season where everyone counted them out except them. And, and uh, you know, there were some good Saturdays as Gamecock fans this year. Obviously, it, the ending wasn't the greatest that we could hope for, but we are going to a bowl game. We, we get another month of practice, and, and uh, I think the, the trend is, is heading up. And, Steve, before we get to Spencer Rattler, you think about the quarterback situation this past year or this year for South Carolina. How impressive was it for the Gamecocks to manage that, get a couple of guys in there, uh, guys who maybe weren't expected to be big-time contributors in the preseason, have success with them, and like you said, uh, win six games, get to, a, get to a bowl game, and still have more football in front of them? Well, I mean, I, if you look at how we, how we won the six games, I mean, it took three quarterbacks. 
um, to play to get us there. And uh, I think all three of those guys, you know, uh, deserve credit. And, uh, you know, I don't know that one of those three guys will be the quarterback next year, but uh, they all had a part in getting to those six wins. Um, you know, you, the part about college football that people don't understand is you don't just come in and you're the greatest. I mean, even J- Jadavion Clowney, when he came in, there's a learning curve to the game of football. So um, you don't just walk in the door and all of a sudden, you know, you're a great player. And, and sometimes, it, sometimes it takes time. But what the, what those three quarterbacks did to all help, all three of them helped us to get to a bowl game. And, and uh, you know, that's impressive for those three guys to be really and truly team first guys. What does it say about a guy like Shane Beamer who can go in and get, you know, a, a big turnaround, go to, go to a bowl game, but also bring in a guy, you know, that was, you know, that was arguably the number one recruit in the country, uh, you know, when he came out, you know, to be able to get him uh, transferring to South Carolina, kind of build on that momentum of a 6-6 season. Well, I, I think it has a lot to do with Coach Beamer and how he, uh, his personality and, and how good of a recruiter he is. You know, he, he recruited a lot of guys in his first uh, go-around at South Carolina that end up being great players. And, and obviously he, he did a heck of a job at Oklahoma and, and really everywhere he's been. But uh, I think past relationships with Coach Beamer and, and obviously Spencer Rattler and the tight ends um, – you know, helped helped us get him. Plus, I, I mean, it's just like coming out of high school. When if you want to play, you don't go to, and you're a quarterback. You don't go to a school where the starting quarterback is, you know, the greatest thing on the field, and he's a freshman. You know, you just you're not going to play. So um, we are in the era. Lane Kiffin said it probably the best of college f- football free agency. It is what it is. But the the portals the portal. The transfer portal is big, especially for a program like ours just trying to get started. Obviously, the model that Dabo and those guys have done at Clemson, which is recruit you know, four and five stars, bring them in, develop them, that worked. But the landscape has changed. And uh, now you're going to have to keep notes on all those kids that you recruited that went somewhere else just in case they're unhappy or they want more playing time and they come back out. And those relationships are going to be important. So, um, like I said, the landscape has changed. And, I, and obviously, Coach Beamer had a, a good enough relationship and the draw of the SEC to, to get two players from Oklahoma. You talk about playing a quarterback there at, at South Carolina, Spencer Rattler coming in. What is that going to mean just for the, uh, the offensive progression on that side of the ball to have a guy of that caliber coming in and obviously, as you said, is going to walk right in and, and be the starter once he gets there? Well, I, I, some, some of my friends were texting me last night, and um, you know, the first thing I said was, that's great, but if we don't get some offensive linemen to protect them, you know, we're going to need three more quarterbacks next year. So – um, I think as, as important it was to land probably a one-year quarterback, we've got to find some offensive line, linemen. Um, we're probably going to use the transfer portal, I hope, and get some guys that can come in and play right away. But if you go back and watch every game, our offensive line just wasn't very good. And it took three quarterbacks all really and truly got nicked up at some point uh, to get us through the season. So, yeah, we – 
we we have a good quarterback coming in, Spencer Rattler. But you know, if he's the, if he's in the injury tent, he's not helping us. When you think about South Carolina's offense moving forward, uh, I, I think you look at some of the productive quarterbacks of the past, like yourself, like Connor Shaw. What, what advice would you give to Spencer Rattler as he settles in at South Carolina? There are going to be high expectations. Obviously, the pressure is going to be there. Uh, you're one of the best to ever do it. What, what advice would you give to him? Well, I mean, first and foremost, he's got he's to come in and show that he's a team guy. Um, he's going to – the day he walks in the door – you know, everyone's going to know who he is, and, and uh, you know, he's going to go from, you know, Oklahoma and come to South Carolina and walk in the door as the most popular player on the team, especially from the outside looking in. What he needs to do is make sure he rallies that group inside the locker room by outworking everybody, learning that playbook, um, you know, getting with those receivers, learning those guys. Um, so, got a lot of work to do from I guess tomorrow um, until the first game I, I think spring practice will be very interesting um, I can't wait to go watch a practice one day and, and uh, you know see it up close and personal but uh, he's got a lot of work to do but because you know you look at NFL free agency when a quarterback flips spots um, they got to go in there and, and show that they you know they're there to work and to win if you if he comes in and, and you know the only thing on his mind is you know getting back up in that first round that, and not about the team, those guys will see that. So you see, he's got to he's got to go in there and, and and be a team guy and be a leader. And I, I think Coach Beamer wants leaders. Um, he preaches it a lot. Um, you know, I think this year they played uh, hard every week. Played like a team. And uh, I think that's the most important thing for Spencer Rattler coming in is, um, you know, to, to be a team leader and to, to get in with that team. And Spencer Rattler can get that learning curve, you know, as you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, early in the interview, talking about what these quarterbacks have to do. If he is a team guy, if, if Shane can go and get a, a couple of quality offensive linemen, maybe some help on the, on the perimeter, how dangerous could this South Carolina offense be in 2022? Well, I mean, we're we're blessed with some really really good running backs, and uh, you know I think we're losing one, um, but we we do have a great running game, and uh, you know you can do a lot when you can run the football, and that opens a lot of things up. Um, Rattler needs, you know, also this, this is the SEC's the big boys league, um, taking nothing away from Oklahoma, but obviously their coach didn't want any part of the SEC, um, and 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 that league. And uh, it's going to be different. You know, it's not, you know, throw it 60, 70 times a game uh, league. It, it, you know, it's really not. And you got to have a running game. So um, we're going to need some receivers to step up. I, I look for number 13 um, to come around. I mean, he's such a big body, and if he can get healthy. And, and there, there's some other guys that we're going to count on. But, you know, I, I think with some offensive linemen and the ability to run the football, uh, we could have a really good offense offense next year. What what we did on defense this year with with really no linebackers was very impressive. We we really had a good defensive line, but um, you know we got the the recruit in linebacker two linebacker recruits four stars and and I think they probably came because they knew they were going to play from day one. So um, you know it'll be interesting. I I, I think. Um, like I said, I think the University of South Carolina football is definitely trending up. 
And Steve, to that end, finally, you know, a lot of people are talking about the Gamecocks on social media. You had, you know, expectations surpassed in some regards this year. Seems like there's a lot of momentum and energy around the program. What's that like from your perspective, and, and do, do you feel that? Are you a part of that optimism that a lot of people seem to be channeling, thinking about South Carolina in the future? Oh, no question. I, I think that's what Coach Beamer and his staff have done. I, I spoke to the team on Friday after their practice before the Clemson game, and got to watch practice and and obviously I was on the field for the beginning of the the game against Clemson and the atmosphere was electric. It's everything that a big game should be. And uh, I think that has a lot to do with with Coach Beamer and and hopefully we get in more and more big giant games where, you know, our fans are the greatest. South Carolina fans are are diehard and and they'll pack that place to, to watch a team that they feel like can win. And if we're going out there and playing with some effort and we, we log some wins, um, you know, next year's going to be awesome. I, I, I can't wait. You know, I got the call yesterday about renewing my season ticket, so I guess I'll have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Han- Steve Tannehill, uh, South Carolina legendary quarterback, our guest here on 3 and Out. Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Y'all have a great Christmas, man. You too. Steve Tannehill joining us here on 3 and Out and just a legendary quarterback there in South Carolina. And Spencer Rattler sliding over to Columbia uh, to play college football in 2022. We'll come back with more 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Give back as well. And we have partnered with uh, Savannah Feed the Hungry uh, on a uh, toy drive. Uh, coming up, uh, some big Savannah Feed the Hungry event on December 23rd where they will be uh, – Helping folks out with dinner, providing a dinner, groceries for those a little less fortunate, and also handing out toys at that event. And we've got several places in the Savannah area for you to do that and drop toys off at Coach's Corner on Victory Drive there in Thunderbolt, Geechee Roots there at the Tanger Outlet Malls. The Uniform Source got multiple locations uh, there in Savannah, the Hall of Sneakers there on York Street in Savannah and Cash and Carry on Staley Avenue. Drop off an unwrapped toy at any of those locations. You can go to our Facebook page for all the information there, but you have until the 22nd to do that. Help out, give back, and uh, make some uh, less fortunate folks uh, Christmas a little bit brighter there as well we need your help uh to do that so stop by those locations uh coaches corner geechee roots uniform source hall of sneakers cash and carry and drop off an unwrapped toy at any of those locations and help uh brighten someone's christmas uh this year as part of uh the savannah feed the hungry event where they're going to feed uh folks and uh hand out toys as well yeah always important to think about others but especially this time of year and uh anything you can do to you know give back and uh and uh, help the community and i think you know really looking forward to that event on Christmas Eve Eve on, on, on the 23rd feed the hungry and uh, just you know pick up a, if you're out shopping and you can pick up you know an extra toy or two and uh, and uh, let's help make every child's uh, Christmas morning or a holiday special and uh, and uh, make sure that everybody has has something I think it's an important goal to keep in mind uh, every holiday season couldn't be more humble to be partnering with Savannah feed the hungry I think uh in this holiday time I mean around this holiday times like Kevin and BJ we forget the fact that we get a chance to be our best selves Get a chance to go out there and do something with somebody else. It's, it's, 
definitely these are our last couple of years when you look at how much we, you know, have been able to really be around each other. So, yeah, Savannah Feeder Hunger being able to uh, partner with them as well as the Toy Drive. Just doing our part around this holiday season. I hope to put some smiles on a lot of people's faces. Absolutely. So if you have the opportunity, uh, give back. Go to our Facebook page, our uh, ESP Radio Savannah Facebook page. It's got all the information uh, there for you uh, as to where you can go drop those uh, those items off and help give back here this holiday season. We've got a lot still to get to uh, this week as we got early signing day tomorrow. Ben's got a big troop talk set up for, uh, for tomorrow uh, as well. And uh, talking with, what, Rob Deloach, who's had – Three uh, children all play at the, the high D1 level. I uh, know certainly a lot about that recruiting process. There should be a, an interesting conversation there tomorrow for Troop Talk. It's all about the factory. I mean, the Deloge family is a royalty in, uh, around, you know, around Savannah, Georgia. But, yeah, man, I mean, basketball, football, track. I mean, if you <laughs> need it, the Deloge family has it. I mean, the, the, daughter, the daughter is the fast one in the family. I think Kayla is the second fast. And if you want to get dunked on, they got a 6'9 center up there at VCU. <laughs> <laughs> so we got all that to get to tomorrow and more. Hope you'll join us. If you miss any portion of the show, ESPNCoastal.com. You can go to our YouTube page at ESPN Coastal on YouTube and catch a podcasted version of the show each and every day. We will see you tomorrow here, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Conversation continues there on Twitter at Pigskin Radio.